Hey everybody, so first thing we want to tell you about before we start this episode is Something is Killing the Children, which is the Eisner Award-nominated horror comic published by Boom Studios, and it is returning next year. You can catch up now with Something is Killing the Children Book 1, which collects the entire Archer's Peak saga for the very first time and is available now wherever comics are sold. This book is written by GLAAD award-winning author James Tinian IV of Batman and the Nice House on the Lake fame, with artist Werther Deladera, colorist Mikel Muerto, and lettering by And World Design. The first 15 issues will also be returning to comic book stores next year with exclusive new collectible covers painted by the iconic David Mack. The first of these slaughter packs will be available in January and collects issues one through five. Visit your local comic store to find out more. Uh, also, it's soon to be a Netflix series, so get a head start now so you can tell everybody you were a fan before it got popular. Plus, new issues start hitting stands in March 2022, so get caught up today. Very good idea. And I am here to tell you about two specific podcasts, uh, the first of which is called The Frankencast. It's a podcast about pop culture's favorite movie monster. Every episode digs into one Frankenstein adaptation or another, the good, the bad, and the truly weird. The hosts are two monster obsessives who recap each film by stitching together humorous chats about nonsensical science gear and flappy bats with emotional, resonant, personal discussions and critical social theory. The Frankencast is for diehard horror fans, as well as anyone who enjoys those freewheeling late night conversations that start with surface level movie talk and quickly spiral into religion and philosophy. New episodes every week, wherever you get your podcasts. And... I would like to tell you about the Horror Struck podcast. They're an independent show exploring the world of horror through the eyes of two best friends, one a horror expert and the other a genre novice. Listen in weekly as they dissect all of your favorite horror classics and occasionally talk with some familiar faces, such as actor Zach Guilford of Midnight Mass fame, award-winning horror author Grady Hendrix, YouTuber and film critic Amanda the Jedi, and many more. New episodes of that show drop every single Wednesday. And now we must do our Fangoria spiel before we kick everything off. Their kick-ass magazine always explores every nook and cranny of genre filmmaking past, present, and future with all the most exciting journalists, filmmakers, and horror know-it-alls to guide the way. The high-quality writing will only ever appear within the physical pages of the magazine, so if you want to join in on the fun, you'll need to subscribe. To do that, all you have to do is head on over to Fangoria.com. Sign up, and since KingCast listeners are in the family, you can enter in the promo code KingCast to check out to save a huge, whopping, fantastical 25% off your entire order. Now, with all of that said, on with the show, I reckon. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. As longtime listeners of the KingCast have surely noticed by now, we like to dole out episodes on... Stephen King's magnum opus, The Dark Tower, uh, only on special occasions. The the weight between these episodes is sometimes shorter than others, but in our minds, the plan is to have like one episode for every book in the series by the time we bring this bad boy in for a landing. Uh, so far, we have tackled three books from the series, uh, The Gunslinger, 
Wizard and Glass, and Drawing of the Three. And each of those episodes has featured a different guest. But because we had so much fun on the last one, and because the response from our listeners on that episode was so strong, we bent our own rules a bit to bring back the guest from our last Dark Tower episode to tackle the third book in the series, The Wastelands. He's an Eisner Award-winning New York Times best-selling author of comic books like Sex Criminals, November Casanova, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, and a legendary run on Hawkeye that heavily inspired the Disney Plus streaming series of the same name, as well as the first ever Pen America Literary Award for Graphic Literature, a distinction he shares with Stephen King himself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the KingCast stage, Mr. Matt Fraction. Matt, how are you doing today? Hey, I am fired up to be here. Holy shit, I'm great. Hi. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming we're, in hot. We're, uh, we're, we're so glad that... Uh, we got to get you in here and and right before the cutoff for the end of the year. Yeah, know. yeah. There's something this is great that like the show is the reason I'm finally attacking the Dark Tower. Like it's uh it's all it's all of one one big experience for me. So I think this is this is this is awesome. Right. Thanks. Hey guys, how right. you been? Oh been good. Living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Zero compliance. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's no, not true. Zero. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> wow. That is zero a gigantic complaints. lie, actually. But, <laughs> you know, all things considered, it could yeah, be yeah. worse. Yeah. yeah a no, normal I'm, amount of complaints yeah, at yeah, the very I'm, least. I'm pandemic good. I'm demi good. <laughs> yeah. Pandemic good is a, a great way of putting that. I think the last time we talked to you, you were what, like halfway through or most of the way through this book in the series? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I was, I had, Got a chunk of it done, so I kind of knew where we were. I, I think maybe the first, maybe yeah, yeah. Which, but like, drawing of the three and this are both, so, and then Wizard and Glass are both such huge books. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so the, I, th I think yeah, because I knew it, I knew how it opened at least. So I was at least kind of through that first chunk. Mm. But yeah, mm -hmm. so it, but yeah, this is all fresh. Read this, I have read this one time, and uh, uh, <laughs> but and, recently. And, yeah, but very recently, and then you know, in Wizard and Glass, it's funny. I kind of have have stalled out in Wizard and Glass, um, not for any uh, boredom or distaste, but just that uh, they were such big books that I needed mm -hmm. to read small stuff, and so I just kind of <laughs> broke away and like read a couple of nonfiction things and read um, later. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, which fucking rips. Have you read that yet? Yep. Oh, oh yeah, it's great. Yeah. Oh, oh, we loved it. And, yeah. and unlike unlike Wizard and Glass, it's something you can read in one sitting feasibly. I, so I read it on a flight from Portland to Burbank, and I loved it so much. To see if this makes sense to you guys. That I left it in the seat pocket in front of me, hoping to gift it to someone else <laughs> to, to pay it forward. Like just please, That's I awesome. hope you just enjoy this on the flight back as much as I did. It was the perfect just ah oh, fuck, so good. Right. It's either going to still be there for the next passenger if the uh, cleaning team is lazy or it ended up in the airport trash. Probably so. But you know what? I like the dream and I like to dream big. And it's, uh, you know, <laughs> New Year and and I'm going to go into it uh, 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 chin held high and believing that somewhere some flight attendant is just getting the 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 the, sh the shit entertained right out of them. Uh, <laughs> Maybe by, by Dane, uh, Dean Kuntz had that same seat on the next flight. And he got to learn how it's done from the master for once. <laughs> King! <laughs> Always you haunt me. Um, so so you're you're still in Wizard and Glass. Yeah. I understand yeah, I, I understand needing to, to take a respite from yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, uh and 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 yeah, and just my reading has just slowed down. So uh, uh but yeah, so I'm 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 a little bit of a of a of a slower burn. 
uh, uh, so far through uh, through that. But I guarantee that this is going to get me all fired up to get back to it. So this is perfect. <laughs> oh, sure. gonna give me, this Probably. is going to be the momentum I need to close down that last 1,700 pages. <laughs> it's, and, a, it's a big one. But a, uh, I, I do want to reiterate before we move forward that you have not finished the series yet. So we correct. won't be going into much detail about what happens after Wastelands. Correct. Um, correct. And uh, this is something we did in the last episode where we're like, it, it's rare for us to talk about the Dark Tower and not talk about the final book. Yeah. Uh, because of just the nature of this uh, this whole series. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things that are set up, you know, are paid off. And a lot of things that, you know, are uh, you maybe don't quite understand the full context right. of everything right. you're seeing until you've, you've gotten the entire story. So we are trying to be on our best behavior and uh, not spoil the end here. For I, I appreciate the hell out of that. And and I think I could tell when we were glancing up against that stuff because you guys would get mm. quiet for a second. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, fuck, what does this mean? Where, oh, I can't wait. I'm just it's such a God damn. What a what a what a what a fucking thing this is what a piece of work this is right for real oh my god revisiting uh this one has got like i've been toying with the idea of doing like a full reread of the Mm -hmm. series lately and revisiting this one basically locked it in i'm like Mm -hmm. all right i'm gonna go back now start with the first one read just do the whole series again it's been man it must be like several years now since I cracked into it, but I'm excited to go through it again. Yeah, and not to not to make a a pun, but like this 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 whole fucking book is just on rails. Like from the oh, minute, yeah. it just it just. Uh, so, uh, how do we? I guess I guess how do we want to do this? Do we want to go through and then talk? Do we talk? How do you? How do we structure this exactly? I, I kind of last time I think we kind of did like a plot recap and then kind of wandered through. But I, I like my, my immediate question to you, I have a question for you both, but it would kind of mm. requires skipping ahead a little bit. Okay, sure. Uh, Go for um, it. But, but to, to me, this, this very much feels like the end of drawing of the three and the beginning of wizard and glass collected in a book because it would have made drawing of the three too big. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it, mm. it feels like it's resolving business uh, oh, for sure. It blurs the, the the idea that, and even kind of, he's got this kind of intro outro thing that's a very sort of. I know this is a weird place to end a book, right? And sort of this this is the first of the of. I mean, it's only the third, but uh, the the porousness of the covers was really apparent. Where the kind of this really bled into what had come before and bled into what comes next. Where you know, book four picks up like the, the the moment this book ends right like there's no yeah because this one ends on a cliffhanger and yeah the, yeah 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 no i mean yes i don't know if he's ever talked about that i don't know if that was if that is in fact the case or if that was just the sort of well the, let me ask you this how far into wizard and glass are you it's still on blaine but it but like okay we're, well we're, we're getting there i think i think your theory you will soon see does not hold a lot of water oh fantastic for, that's the for, best because you know they're they're going to resolve the cliffhanger ending, and then it's going to go off in a completely different direction for the next five hundred pages. Yeah, but I mean, I guess maybe I don't know. I mean, this kind of plays in a little bit like what we talked about last time—that sort of about King as a sober person writing and a, and a sober mm-hmm. creator. I, I was fascinated that the first half of this kind of undoes and rewrites and redeems. 
uh, you know, not just the, the some of the gunslinger sense, but maybe maybe King's own kind of uh, like the sort of the 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 real estate and uh, just narrative attention given to rescuing Jake. Mm-hmm. It's, it feels so earned that it, I don't mind that it functionally undoes that section of the first novel because mm-hmm. it is so bought, it is so purchased, it is so heavy and earned and important. It's like, right. like, but you know, you make the argument like, oh, so this just kind of undoes the first book, and like, well, but no, right? It so makes everything more interesting and challenging. But mm-hmm. I like, I wondered that that urge of like there was this kind of foundational sin in the, in the, in the woodwork that he needed to go back and correct or atone for somehow. I just found super, super compelling. Mm. Um, and, and yes. just as a, as a fan of that book, I love, which I still love the gunslinger and I love this one too. And I, I love them because the loss of Jake and then the, the rescue of Jake is just so stunning in both, both cases. Yeah. yeah. It's per- perfectly essayed across this first three, three books, I think. Well, and, and the way that King approaches this is essentially the guilt is manifest in, in pending insanity. Yeah, it's literally, right? it's, it's really literally tearing rolling apart. Right. Yeah. Because well, oddly enough, brain, the, the act apart. of, of, uh, of him saving Jake in the second book by killing Mort before Mort can push him in front of the car, mm-hmm. uh, is what is driving him insane because he has the memories of both, uh, meeting the boy at the wasteland or at the um, uh, the way station. And also the boy was never there because he stopped that from happening. So he addresses not only the paradox of what Roland did by, you know, going through that door into the before time, mm-hmm. you know, before Jake was killed uh, and changing things. Uh, uh, but he addresses it in the same way of, of like uh, as you would emotionally with guilt. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it's such a powerful, Thing and it, it like you said, it feels earned. It feels earned narratively because, in a way that w- it wouldn't have felt earned if he, I, I don't know. Like, the, the, I, I'm going to reverse a little bit here and, and stop that train of thought because I don't think that that's. Uh, uh, I as I was saying it, I don't think I was actually right in what I was saying. So I'm going to stop saying that now that I'm thinking about it. Wait, what were uh, you going to say? I want to know. Well, I was thinking about because. We do see Mort um, not push Jake, but then a big deal is made that that would have been the day wouldn't have been the day Jake would have been pushed anyway. Right. Mm. So what the the thing that Roland actually does that changes things is he kills Mort like he he uh, Mm -hmm. he takes takes him over in his mind or whatever. And then he like uh, throws him in front of a train like he he pushed uh, um, uh, Detta. Uh, and so essentially the way he changes things isn't by stopping Mort from pushing Jake. He just, he kills You're Mort right. before he can push Jake. Yeah. But even, so, and even then there's some kind of like, and I'm, I'm sure we're coming back to it and this will be maybe one of those moments where you guys are both quiet, but like, was the man in black there? Wasn't he there? Who else was mm. there? There was someone that he was aware of a, like, and it's just kind of, suddenly the scene gets a little richer and you're looking at this thing you've already seen from like just a slightly different angle and maybe someone else is present and maybe two other people are present and we're not, right. is this kind of Roland hallucinating these kind of overlapping worlds or is the man in black there? Or I don't know. Uh, I can't remember what, what do they call him at the end of this? Like the, the guy who lives forever, the ageless, or stranger. The ageless, the ageless stranger. There you go. I think that's, that's better than the guy who lives forever. Um, <laughs> uh, tightened, it up, it, t- tightened it up nicely. Uh, yeah, that was cool too. Of just this, like, oh, we're going to keep coming back to this, like, nexus point, this kind of conflagration of of of, of, of 
moment in character and learning more and more about it. And yeah, it's just, it was so great. And like the way it's written and edited and like the, his sort of sense of weave and that we've got this, this kind of tripartite story happening with mm. Roland and uh, uh, the gang trying to, uh, uh, you know, to defeat the incubus and get to the door and, and, and the, and right. uh, Eddie and the key and his kind of flashbacks, but his flashbacks and bleed into where young Jake is when Jake is supposed to be dead and he's starting to lose his mind. Like, it's just, right. If you were to explain it to somebody as I just half-assed tried to do, like it <laughs> sounds like gibberish. Right. When you read it, it's so deftly woven. It's just it's a as lot a writer, like, I just have to be like, fuck, man, that's that's a lot of juggling and weaving. And it, at no point am I like, wait a minute, what happened? You just know exactly who, what, mm. went, where, why, and how you are, and it's terrific. It's a lot it's like um, true. Yeah. And it's it, it's a lot like drawing of the three like that, mm -hmm. I think. You know, I, 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 in my like mind happening the, all at once. The books sort of separate from like the gunslinger is its own thing, and then uh Drawing the three in Wastelands are almost like a duology. Mm. And then Wizard is its own thing. And then the last three are kind of their own thing. Right. You know, the, mm. so there, it's sort of fitting, actually, now that I'm thinking about it that way, that you would be doing two and three. Right. You know, right. this this one is like, you know, I mean, they're all direct sequels to one another. But sure. this one feels like drawing the three part two. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like and, I said, those, the, the covers are very porous. Like this is really one, you know, he talks about it as being, you know, one 8,000 page story or whatever, but this mm -hmm. feels like, like these particular, you know, what 2000 pages feel conjoined psychically in such a real way. There's um, also a, like this, um, I don't know that the la when we talked about drawing the three, I, I talked about how it felt like a, like a block, but it was structured like a blockbuster, yeah, this, movie, and, you know, and, and, and this, this one feels, feels like, like that as well. More, yeah, this feels yeah, like yeah, it, it, way even more. Yeah. Uh, to the point where it has a star Wars structure. Like right. if you notice by, by the time you get to the third act and they're in LUD, uh, they do the star Wars thing where it's three stories that are all happening, happening simultaneously mm -hmm. that are uh, impacting each other. You have, uh, Eddie and Susanna, they're off trying to turn Blaine on and getting the, the escape vehicle ready. Essentially you have, you know, Jake being uh, tormented by, uh, by the gang in the city. And then you have Roland and Oi chasing him and all those three stories that he cuts back and forth between them. And it going through it again, I'm just thinking like, this is the end of, of return of the Jedi, right? You know, this is the end of thing where you have these three different stories that are all happening simultaneously. And for like, being we cut away from each one at the like most heightened dramatic moment yeah, you know yeah. uh is, is Roland dead did he fall into that booby trap you know did that fountain land on him or whatnot you know like all, all this stuff it's it is it is uh expertly structured i think all that shit oh, you know, is so and, good and there, and that's it's literally two halves about three stories happening concurrently conjoined by a literal bridge yep <laughs> uh, uh, which is which is one of those things that either was entirely intended or I would bet money that that was entirely the point. And yes, you've got my 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 symbolism or it was completely <laughs> subconscious. And and oh, look at that. Yes, they bridged the gap into this new like. So that's like Ludd. Uh, the second half, I guess this is kind of where I guess we kind of not can loop back to the beginning, but like right away. 
this like this book like aside from being like feels like it is all red meat mm-hmm. even though the answers have more questions it's spilled so much world and so much mm-hmm. of what the dark tower i think at this point is mm-hmm. but like the plot is racing at such velocity it's so it's artful you don't even realize how big and how what what a sense of the place you have by the end like so it, like the opening echoes the opening of drawing right of drawing of the three right there's a monster comes out of the wilderness right it's that kind of same kind of thing only it's a giant cyborg bear <laughs> with a literal satellite dish spinning around Sticking on its sticking out of its fucking head and right away it feels like did i miss a book what <laughs> you know like like it's just such a it, 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 this feels to me like one had a kind of sketchy dreamlike very episodic kind of we're going to try and weave this together but maybe there i don't know how much of a plan there was two felt like some kind of psychic kind of correction and like i'm going to set this board set up my game board and get my pieces in line and this feels like from like the minute this starts that opening sequence with shardik like Mm-hmm. I believe he knows exactly where he's going from this point on. Uh-huh. And yeah. How oh, yeah. There and how it's all going to work. And now I'm fascinated how that kind of changed uh, due to the events of his life. But like at this point on, it doesn't feel like you're, he's making it up as he goes and kind of dreaming out loud and hoping to see what he can come up with. At this point, it feels like, nope, you know where we are. You know how it works. You know what the story is. You know who all these people are. You know what happened. You know what's going to happen. Holy shit. And it's, we, it's and, one we have, of those, and we know none of it, right? But it, it's one of those things that that when King is just on fire and in the groove, you feel it. Yeah. Uh, you we you talked about later. I felt that in later. It's just mm-hmm. like when he's just in the pocket. It, there's just there's no stopping him, and you you just can't help but be magnetized to the page. And that's that's my memory of reading this because I read these books. The first three books were the ones that were out when I started reading in middle school. And, right. and yeah. Wasteland's been my favorite since then. And I think, you know, reading it again uh, for this podcast, I was like, you know, I, I think it's because the adult me is looking at it going, well, obviously because Jake is, is so central to this one. And I could, you know, inject myself into the story through him as a middle schooler. Um, so that's probably why, but I, there were details in here that I so vividly remember. Um, and my memory is, uh, you know, bullshit. <laughs> my memory sucks. So the fact that, that there's stuff like when, uh, Shardik sneezes and sneezes, all the like parasitic worms and shit that's are in so there because they're sick. It's so gross. It's, it's, it's so gross, fantastically but- gross. It's such a great gross out. It's not just being covered in bear snot. It's bear snot full of maggots. Uh huh. It's it, such a great twelve-year-old thing. Uh, yeah, but uh, like that detail uh, always stuck with me. And another detail is when they're crossing the bridge later after they pull Jake, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Oi almost falls off, and like Jake runs to you know does yeah. that yeah. heroic save, and he 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 saves himself essentially because he, you know Oi's this little raccoon kind of creature that that uh, doesn't have like 
opposable thumbs, right? So he can't just grab onto Jake's hand. So like cliffhanger style, Jake, you know, hanging over this abyss, reaches his hand out and Oi bites it. You know, he bites the, mm-hmm. the hand drawing blood, but it's the only way to hang on. And I remember that so extremely vividly as well in the description of, yeah. of the pain Jake feels. But, you know, it, but it's so fun, funny. You talked about, Scott, that the first book feels like its own thing. To me, the first three um, are in, in like the first like hundred pages of four, obviously, um, are one story, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because th- this that moment uh, probably comes around the same part if you just like one to one Gunslinger and Wastelands. They're radically different size books, but if you somehow one to one them, that's probably around the same point where Roland uh, uh, would let Jake fall. Th- this is like a, a oh, kind shit. of paying yeah, off, yeah, paying yeah, off we that were- moment where when Jake is in that situation of of you know continuing on you know on the quest or letting his companion fall he chooses to rather risk sacrificing himself and giving up the quest in order to save his Hmm. his uh you know his friend so it is like the opposite of what what roland's choice was in the first first totally that totally flew right past me i i kept thinking about Tyr, you know the norse god of war Mm. who has to put his hand in fenrir the wolf's mouth Mm. And like doesn't want Fenrir to die, and tells Fenrir like it's okay, bite it off, and and he loses his hand or his arm depending on kind of what you know. So Tyr has this kind of prosthesis because because Fenrir his his wolf his beloved like bit his arm off, mm. uh, and like he's more than like the Tyr's more like the God of War becomes like the he's like you know he's the like law and justice right, which feels very much who Jake is, like Jake is the like Jake is like Roland's externalized conscience. Like, this is right, this is wrong. Hmm. You know, like, he kind of immediately has that. When he shows up in this book, he's so kind of... The kid who he is at the end of Dark Tower is kind of who he is here. Like, he has that kind of sharpness at the end of Dark Tower in the in the face of being dropped. Mm, um, I don't the, remember the what the line is, right. but he says something like, you're going to... Yeah, you, go now, there are other worlds in these, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's sort of... And that's the kid who now is here, right? This kid who's kind of yeah. wiser, more wise than, than his years. And yeah, I just immediately thought, like, oh, there's like a tear thing. He's going to be the... Uh, law and justice and war. Like I can't wait to see where where Jake goes. Um, Just as a means for giving this this conversation a little bit of order. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> what's your What's your standout sequence from from this? <sighs> it's tough, right? I think the end of the Jake rescue with the mm. with the house coming the, alive with the house yeah. and the kind of weaving of Jake's story and Eddie's story. And the the kind of the J- Jake's kind of little mini journey through New York. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to get back to that bookstore and figure out what that's all about. And just Jake on his kind of vision quest and sort of that the overlapping of worlds and the the rose and the abandoned lot and like mm-hmm. all that. But yeah, but all of that that the house sequence and just to, and too like I just I like Eddie. Eddie had such a kind of cool hero moment. Uh, and all of that i think i think although like maybe one of my favorite images in king is like buildings toppling in the distance as the gunslinger is chasing down uh jake and the the tick is it the tiktok man or is tiktok gasher. man it's gasher, first, gasher yeah. right but it's gasher, gasher and the boys gasher and jake are, are running 
uh, uh, that like they're literally seeing buildings topple where Roland is triggering all the booby traps and like surviving and they, the buildings keep getting closer and closer <laughs> and like they know Roland <laughs> is surviving and surviving. Like it's like a like a like the dorsal fin and jaws above the water or something. Just as the kind of <laughs> ruin following them is, is pretty great. But I, for my money, I think it's that that getting because once Jake's there too, it feels like the, now the gang is all together, right? Like Jake <laughs> arrives and it feels like the the quartet has arrived. The quartet is complete. It feels like such a okay now now the story can start. This this is the healing book, and that that's what's really interesting <laughs> about it because you. Roland spends the first book obsessed and then, you know, he murders a child in, in the name of his tower. Uh, and who, who, he's who just kind us? of this broken man. But in the second book, he's dying, right? He's dying of that, that bite. He's got that infection. He's dying. And in the third book, he's, his body is fine, but his, his mental health is, is going mm-hmm. right. So he is, he, he has never been a complete character until Jake is, is birthed in, in, in that, uh, you know, that horrific storm and, you know, in the uh, uh, the speaking circle. I think the reason why I, I like tend to love this book the most is because it is it is that feeling of healing of coming together when Jake comes out and hugs the gunslinger and suddenly everything feels right, you know, and then, you know, Oi joins and like their quartet is complete. And and finally, then they get that lovely and this is a brilliant touch that he makes. They go directly from there to the Manny village. Right. And that's when you have that quiet before the storm, that kind of uh, Rio Bravo or, you know, yeah, sure, it, sure. you know, kind of Western classic moment where you, the heroes get to just rest and be open and comfortable with each other before the, you know, the big uh, finale. Yeah, that's um, key, one of the best stretches of the book. Yeah, because it, yeah. it feels most in line with the first book of, you know, anything else since mm. that first book. And at this point, it, it, it's kind of the first real glimpse you get of what Roland was like as a gunslinger, Mm -hmm. but like not, I know we kind of got his kind of very young origin, but there's kind of a, what it meant, what the world was like back then. It's kind of a cool glimpse of what that meant to be a gunslinger and how people would have reacted to him. Well, you know, up until this point, we've only seen people in mid world react negatively to a gunslinger. Right. Right. You know, and so that that's part of what makes it so interesting is like they're they're treating him with like it's the first time he respect. felt like a knight. It's the first yeah, time he felt exactly. like, like exactly. a knight, you know. So you're you're too, finally getting to see the res- the respect the gunslingers deserved in, in Midworld. Yeah, I think too, uh something that Damien Nichols said when you guys had him on about how he Damien missed the Roland who was kind of like the Terminator. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's sort of this is the book where you realize that that wasn't a complete man, right? Like he wasn't a complete person, right? Oh, and, yeah. And the, and it kind of takes this much. It's taken this journey to put him together again to kind of call because 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 he's I think it was a, a trenchant observation from Damien, and there is a kind of the character kind of resists this, and I suspect we're going to get it, we're going to understand how and why <laughs> we met such a cold and dark person at the opening of this book of, of the, the opening of the cycle of what, by the time we get to the end, but like, that's into like, it feels, you said it was a healing book. This really feels like everybody has recovered from the first two books and now, all right, to the town. And now guess what? We're on the beam and the path of the beam. And like, what? So yep. like, of course now, now there's, yeah, it's very artfully done. And, I don't remember if we if I confessed this or not last time. Did I did I talk about did I confess that I hadn't read Lord of the Rings and I hate it? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, I yeah, believe you did, did talk about that. Yep. Okay. That's, all right. I just so, sometimes I hide it because it upsets <laughs> me. People will yell at you. It gets me uninvited from things very quickly. Uh, the world building here is so kind of surreal and artfully done. And at no point does someone have to stop and explain things to you. Mm-hmm. You learn it all in the course of the narrative. You learn it all in the course of plot. And like, it's just so, I don't know, the thing with the animals and the beam and everything. And like, you mm-hmm. really get this kind of stuff, but it's all because of the story and how it's happening and why it's happening. It doesn't feel and it like. It all feels right. Right. It, it doesn't yeah. feel like you have to like read a, a kind of a making of yeah, to figure no out the, the, the world uh, when Roland's describing you know, when he draws the circle and draws the lines through the circle and says, you know, there are portals on the outskirts and they all intersect. And, you know, if you draw a line from one one end to another, you'll you'll hit uh, the dark tower in the middle. Like it all just me- makes sense. Like, like oh, it just oh, oh, all course. feels like it's ordered, you know, and and suddenly this thing that, you know, the first one's a little aimless. You don't know anything about the. This, and I don't mean that in a negative way. The first book is, you know, you know it, I, I think epi- it's great. Epi- episodic. But, well, I mean, it, when, when I say aimless, I mean, like, as a viewer, you don't know where you are. You don't, you know, things are weird. Like, is this our past? Is this an alternate right. reality? Sure, like, sure. all this stuff. And, and there's all these questions that that you could get caught up, you know, and hung up on if you wanted, uh, you know, something to only make, you know, literal sense right in front of you at the moment and have everything explained to you. I, I get that. But uh, you know, but through the second and then the third book, very much it just goes, nope, you it locks in exactly, you know, the the way that um, this world works, you know, and you start getting a, a, an idea of the geography, you start getting the idea of of uh, uh, just kind of the mythology of this land. I mean, even little things like showing the, the robots, all the little protector oh, robots so that, <laughs> that, you know, that are breaking down and like, and just kind of walking in, in deep rutted circles and yeah, stuff because yeah, they don't yeah. have a purpose. And, you know, and, and all this stuff, suddenly you, I don't know, this is the one where the world really opens up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because it, at least Roland's world, because uh, the second book is, is huge in a different level because of the, the portals, the, the doors on the beach. Um, and, you know, it, it opens it up in such a magnificent way by bringing it into our recognizable world. But, but the third one gets to focus 80% or 85% on, on Roland's world and, and building that. And the glimpses that we get in New York, as you mentioned, you know, we, it's not just, Jake walking, you know, around a New York city, he goes into that lot and there's the fucking rose with the universe, you know, in, in it's, <laughs> in it's leaves, you know, it's, uh, in it's petals, you know, it, it becomes a little bit more fantastical, but also controlled in, in a way that I don't know that he, as you will come to find, I don't know if he manages the, that giantness, mixed with the simplicity that makes it feel as right as it does in the later books. Like I, I, I love the, the, the whole series, uh, you know, but th- this is kind of this and wizard and glass are kind of the last parts where it starts. It, 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 feels, like we're, it feels like we're leaving earth for sure. You know, right. It feels like we are, we are now completely in blood and in mid world and in the, 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 uh, the the yeah, that, like the 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 mythos you know what I mean and like on the feels, journey yeah, yeah yeah it feels like we're we are we are leaving the station literally it's a perfect kind of way to end <laughs> right we're we're leaving the station and you know it's uh, another thing I, I responded to is 
I think, I think my son, my son's 14, like perfect age for this stuff. And I think mm-hmm. like, and, but I, any, you know, there's always that risk, like a parent, like, Hey, anything your parents tell you to do is lame. Don't do it. Right. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I really like? And we don't quite have that relationship, but I, I worry sometimes about like, like I push too hard on Dune, right? I blew Dune. I blew Dune for him. He's not going to get the Dune. I just lost it. So mm. Dune, but, but let, I mean, Dune's. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, casting any aspersions on the intelligence of your child, but Dune is a tall order at 14 for a lot of people, I think. Right? Yeah, but, but I mean, I can, I'm is... fucking 40 years old and I have a problem reading Dune. Oh, I it's get very it. dense. It is, sure. I, I think this is a lot more accessible than. That's certainly true. That's certainly true. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, but like, I was thinking like, oh, how would I explain it to him? And it's like, it's not really post-apocalyptic. Kinda. Like it might be the George Washington Bridge. They might be going to New York. Yeah. Uh, it's not really a western. It's not really science fiction. It's not really, but like it's sort of this beautiful. Again, I just think about weaving and kind of it's a little and like mm-hmm. the surrealness of these, the kind of the gangs and it feeling like I think you talked about Rio Bravo, but like it feeling like a western with this kind of weird. Um, it also a little bit reminded me of um, True Grit. Mm-hmm. With the kind of the the weird cabin of of of, uh, of you know fill your hand you son of a bitch right like that kind yep. of the weird guys yeah. up in the woods and that kind of these weird losers that aren't really the bad guy but they're the obstacle between us and the bad guy and like the the that is just this kind of or like a city built on top of hard drives and like <laughs> yeah <laughs> which for like 1991 is like pretty forward looking like that's yeah that, that's pretty cool uh and and just the the weirdness of like the Velcro fly thing, like the ZC top thing. Mm -hmm. And just like the God drums. Yeah. None of this should work. Like if you put these pieces in front, if I put these pieces on a table in front of you, right. (laughs) And said, (laughs) yes, tell me a story using all of these pieces. It would just feel like Matt. It seems like it would be like Mad Libs, right? Like just like, but it all just kind of comes together. Everybody's like, fuck, where am I? This is great, right? It's just, it's so, at any minute, you're kind of feeling bored with whatever trope we're living in. Don't worry. 20 pages later, you are going to be somewhere totally different. Right? Yeah, it's constantly shotgunning little weird asides at you or, you know, details within the overall story, like um, David Quick's plane. Being yeah, that's right. the plane. Field. I'm just gonna say the plane, yeah. right? Here's a little. Now we're gonna do a kind of Indiana Jones moment with this plane. Yeah, totally. It has the feel of like you know a kid playing with a bunch of different kinds of toys, but this kid just is a master storyteller and and manages to make all these disparate pieces fit together. Um, hmm. I, I I totally agree with you. But that's what makes the Dark Tower feel so unique. It's the same reason why Star Wars felt so revolutionary when it right. first hit, because it there was never anything like it. There, there was, Science fiction was either kind of cold and intellectual or it was super cheesy. There was no, you know, it, with Lucas mixing in sci-fi with samurai stories and and uh and old serials and and fantasy and all that he created something you know that we're still in forever we i think definitely through my lifetime we're going to be seeing that world explored and you know stephen king hit something fairly similar i don't think it's as accessible uh (laughs) definitely not but uh um, but it, it's that same little bit of magic, I think, that he tapped into that uh, Lucas did with Star Wars, where he just took all these things that shouldn't go together and made them 
this mm-hmm. wholly unique original yeah. thing. Yeah. And Ulti- that's... Ultimately, this is not like anything else. Right. You know, and that's yeah. the kind of, it, it is, it is truly more than the sum of its parts. And I think that's the, true. I think that's the biggest selling point of the entire series. And when you were talking about, you know, like how would you describe it to your son? I'm thinking, you know, that how I sell it to people is like, well, it's about this gunslinger. Uh, who's basically a knight in this parallel world, and he's on a quest to reach a very great distance away, the Dark Tower, which is the linchpin of all ex- of existence. I wouldn't and, even go that and, far. I just say he's going to a tower. Yeah, well, you want to you want to throw some spice on there, and then um, <laughs> you know, so over the course of X number of books, this is just a a tapestry of genres where you're going to go through. Horror, sci-fi, Western, there's romance, there's, you know, like you name it and it's in here at some point, you know, so it's all the flavors all at once across however many thousands of pages. Right. And if that doesn't sound interesting to you, like I can't fucking help you, man. Get out of my house. (laughs) Yeah, it's I'm without spoilers, Scott, how would you classify? I know how we you would the genre you'd put in book five. That would be like a samurai genre. Right? Oh, really? Uh, what yeah. Hell? Yeah. Well, that's not well. That's an absolutely. Of, <laughs> it is, but is? you're. I think you're by saying that you're you're going to give Matt the. Well, but because my I was no, gonna, you, you'll understand like Matt my, once you my, once you get to it, you'll you'll see what what the setup is and go. Oh, this is. I, there I are not version samurais of this. in it. No, no, but like I would, if you would, have, it looks like just because of the logo treatment, I would have assumed, oh, this is like an Indiana Jones adventure mm. one because it almost looks like that kind of Raiders logo, right? The kind of sweep. It looks like a kind of very pulp. Like I was certain. Oh wow, that's fa- I can't. The, the, I can't the setup wait for, for this it. Shit. The setup for it is is a very familiar. Yes, um, yeah. it's movie tropes, samurai oh, movie tropes. That's one of my favorite. You could tell him. I think King. you could tell yeah. him. What yeah, it's it it's a, it's Seven Samurai, but with yeah. uh, Seven Samurai with uh, with Roland and his with, with wolves. So, yeah, <laughs> yes. well, you'll see. But how would you classify six and seven though? That that's uh, because six and seven to me feels like holy, not genreless, but it feels like. Dark Tower, the the Dark Tower genre by book six and seven. Like I, I don't really get a uh, yeah. They don't like one to one. Yeah, they don't really. I I I would agree with that. Yeah. At that point in the series, it 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 isn't really delivering that same flavor. Right. Like overall, like distinct flavor for book for for the book as a whole. It is just right. the Dark Tower. Yeah, they're real is, real hard to put either of those books into into any particular category i think maybe you could argue that song of Susanna is like psychological thriller but that mm. doesn't even really quite cut it I mean, at um, some point just the the virtue of any story cycle with a planned beginning middle and end like at some point these books are going to become about themselves because oh, it's just, and, just yeah. you know, yeah, and, boy, and, you've and, already hit 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 it. Yeah, <laughs> just right. sitting here real already, like. <laughs> Well, I mean, just just even before knowing what I know, you know, about the end a little bit, just sort of in guessing what I'm guessing, just just as a writer thinking about it. I was just I was talking about this the other day, but like when 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 the pandemic started, everything I was writing was endings. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and so I got a chance to really kind of look at endings and think about it because there's just was all everything was wrapping up, and so oh, at some point this is really about satisfying all the 
things that are on the board and it doesn't really make sense to bring new things in, right? There's not so much space. I don't, I can't just write forever. And that's sort of the kind of the system has to close off at some point. So you can, you know, kind of bring it in for bring, a bring all your, bring all, bring all the, you know, you can bring make all these rockets do what they got to do at the same time and get them off the stage. Like they land all the planes at once. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So like at some point you're, you know, it feels like it's got to stop growing and just start resolving, which would be kind of interesting yes. to see. I would yeah. say that doesn't it doesn't start resolving until the very end of Wolves. You know, mm-hmm. and then everything from the, there on out is sort of like tying up loose ends and, you know, new things are introduced. I think that's part of one of the issues I have with the final book is that I think it does throw a few too many like entirely new elements where you're like, well, hold, well, hold on a second. I want to know more about that. You know, and it doesn't feel fully realized. I can't give you examples without spoiling anything. Sure, sure, but sure. um Well it's the other uh, thing is too, I just recognize in myself knowing like why am I giving this this new this brief character a page when I only have eighteen pages left in this story or whatever. It's like, oh, because I like them. <laughs> <laughs> like after a while, like, yeah, I know I should, but yeah, I don't know. Like it's gonna be I can't ah, I can't wait. <laughs> I just wanna like the matrix thing, I just want to plug them into the back of my skull and <laughs> and uh, I know Dark Tower. Yeah, exactly. I know Dark Tower. Yeah. Um, one your joke. Just pretend I did it. One uh, like sequence in this. It's relatively brief. Um, that I really want to single out, having just revisited it. I guess it kind of starts when when Gasher takes Jake, and then mm. they go to the TikTok man's lair, and then Roland's got to find him. But really, it's once Jake has shot Andrew Quick. And he and Roland are escaping. And there's that like maybe 10, 15 page stretch where they're under LUD. Mm-hmm. And you they're know, seeing everybody go yeah. insane and like kill themselves. And yeah, they're, they're, they're lining killing. up to be fed into the, the munching machine or what whatever. The fu- the fuck? I forgot all about that. And yeah, was yeah. Like, what the fuck? It's, it's like he describes like a barrel chested giant, like throwing an old woman into what amounts to like a giant fucking laundry press or something. Yes, the mangler. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and, and they're following this like, you know, steel orb through the thing. It's just right. so fucking bonkers. Like, um, did you guys ever read 2000 AD? No, no. Like vintage 2000 AD, like real primo late seventies, early eighties. Mm hmm fucking nuts <laughs> like just, yeah, and that's that's what this is like it really felt like a 2000 ad sequence to me um like something out of like nemesis the warlock or judge dread these kind of just like nightmarish gilliam-esque science fiction mm-hmm. horror shows where people you know commit suicide with the same dull efficiency that they would fill out a tax form you know right um <laughs> and this is the bleak and absurd and horrible and yeah, it, it felt like 2000 AD to me. I don't know. I don't know if that was. Uh, uh, I will uh, take my questions off the air. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's another part in this that sequence when they're when they're underneath love that reminded me of something Eric said a minute ago about how you know parts of this novel were just like seared into your memory almost word for word, right? And one of those for me happens then where the fucking <laughs> the guy comes like running into a room where Jake and uh, Roland are, are talking to Blaine, you know, and he's, you know, they're trying to play each other, basically. 
some guy from fucking Lud goes like, <laughs> running in the door. He's like, ah, the city's on fire. Everyone's dying. And a fucking oven just slams open and a jet of fire comes out and hits him <laughs> in the face. Right. That shit is so, like, so unexpected in the moment. It's the arrival of the guy. Like, not two paragraphs later, his head is on fire. And then Blaine right. and Roland's just like, yeah, well, he was extremely rude to you, Blaine. Yeah. I don't know uh, what to tell you. <laughs> It's well, so it, great. I love it. Can we talk a little bit about, we talk about um, how cinematic a lot of King's writing is a lot, especially pertaining to dark tower. Mm-hmm. This whole sequence where Jake is brought to the TikTok man, who we find out is the giant descendant of it's Jason uh, Manzoukas from John wick two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is Jason Manzoukas. Can you imagine? Manzoukas in a role that Jason will surprise but, you. <laughs> but but like they describe him as being like uh Jason Momoa in size and like right, right. stature. So just imagine Jason Manzoukas, uh his head like CGI'd on to Jason Momoa's body. Jason's not troubling at all. Jason the two Momoa Jasons are merged. In. <laughs> <laughs> the two Jasons as TikTok man. And uh, so here's this guy that's leading this gang and he is so in control of everything. And, and he like beats the fuck out of Jake for one. So you have the, you know, this giant man beating the fuck out of like a 12 year old, which is, you know, obviously uh, not something you read about every day uh, and is obsessed with like Jake's like Casio night eighties, like late seventies, early eighties watch, you know, and like in uh, uh, digital watch and all this stuff. And you have this whole sequence where he, Jake knows he has to open the door that Roland's outside. You have Oi in the vents, you know, getting ready to attack. And you have this great buildup moment in the sequence where, you know, Oi goes, you know, assume, presumably to his death. Like Roland essentially goes, sends him on this quest to save Jake, like because he can fit into the vents or whatever, mm-hmm. knowing that he's, he's sending this thing to its death. And, uh, and I, a piece of me actually at some point would love to either ask King or find out through other interviews he's done if king had intended to kill oi in this scene and then just couldn't bring himself to do it because king always always foreshadows bad things happening and like and he does it so much he does it like two or three times with with oi leading up to this going well you you know roland sends him's like this is you know you're this is a suicide mission you're gonna die and then he just doesn't but anyway so the scene is can oi, i, like, can I say something about that real quick sure okay i think that may i think you might be right and I think yeah. that, you know, Oi is in the story, at least to this point, specifically so he can get in those vents. So right. I so I think if you are right, he probably realized like, oh, shit, I, dis- I could use a way for all kinds of stuff. Like, I, yeah, I, d- I disagree. Oh, you think? I, I, I think like just in a kind of Jungian interpretation, like I think he's I think it's Roland's anima. Like, I think it's Roland's. I think it's it's this sort of female, creative, nurturing kind of spirit that he gets with Jake by redeeming himself and saving Jake. This kind of softness and, mm-hmm. but then it's also it's because it's telling to me that it's Oi that leads Roland through Lud to Jake, right. that he's following this kind of instinctual anima, like literal animal. Not just his anima, but the actual animal path <laughs> right. through this thing. I, I think there's something. I think it's much more of like. I think it's telling to me that the cute toy ends up teamed with the cold prickly guy, mm. and you know what I mean. And not a. a it's, 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 it struck me as something like more about 
where Roland's character had gone. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he did plan and kill it. Uh, maybe, maybe this is more of a yes. And rather than a mm. no, but, but I, I don't know. Right. Just sim- symbolically that the, the, the weirdness of, of now teaming Roland with Oi. Yeah. Um, um, That's interesting. And, 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 but that, that, that it's Oi that, that leads. And two, like it's, it's Oi that begins the attack, right? It's, it's right. It's Oi that shoots first. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, you know, and like just the, the staging of that last of that, kind of Tarantino-esque Mexican standoff oh, yeah. down there is just like, again, another thing of like any, it's, it would be so easy to get confused, but it's just whip fast and clear and whoo, it's great. Let's also not forget that this, this mirrors uh, Roland earning his guns as well, where he sends an animal oh, to attack right. something that's supposed to kill. You know, he sends it's instead of his Hawk David, it is, it is Oi, and he does the same thing. He like turns, and I'll always remember this description of like when Oi slices uh, TikTok man's face and like pops his eyeball, and he always uses the same words of like like the the jelly or whatever. Yeah. He, he uses a specific term about like glob of jelly, you know, yeah, clot yeah. of jelly running down his face, and I think he used the exact same term for court whenever uh, David mm-hmm. popped his eye. So you know, so I don't know. It's it definitely mirrors that scene, whether or not. Ever intended to kill Oi in this moment, like D- uh, David died, but like the same stuff starts happening, right? He the the giant strong man grabs him and starts crushing Oi, and it's not until you know uh, uh, Jake intervenes that that Oi is saved. Roland's whole now; he doesn't have to lose his his hand. Right, from that right. That's true. He, he's regained it because we're going backwards through the story, right? But what what's fascinating to me though is just how. What what King does multiple times through this, and and I, I want to go to Jake's birthing scene uh, in the you know at some point, uh, but what King does is he he oddly sidelines Roland a lot and puts a lot of the the um, uh, the heroic stuff on the shoulders of the rest of his quartet because he's established Roland is this you know amazing you know, not only shot, but this badass, you know, that can handle himself in any situation, but he's it throughout this entire sequence. We're talking about the TikTok man thing. He's standing outside of a door that he can't get in. Right. So it is, it's up to Jake to let in the gunslinger. He needs to find the button to hit the button, open the door. Uh, it's up to Jake to face TikTok man. It's up to Jake and Oi to fight this, you know, incredibly powerful guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the point where Jake never even hits the button. And that's what I think is really fascinating. What I wanted to bring up here in, and this is what uh, struck me so cinematic. And at this point you have the three different stories going on. Eddie and Susanna have convinced Blaine that not only do they know riddles and Blaine, this <laughs> the intelligence behind the, uh, the mono, the computer intelligence, the AI is, is just fascinated by riddles. It's very Tolkien, but um, he loves riddles. And when they tell him that, oh yeah, our our companion Roland and Jake, you know, they're they're uh, like Jake has a book of riddles, and Roland, he you know, he studied riddles as a child and all that. And once Blaine hears that, uh, the door opens because he controls everything. But you don't know what happened. Do you think Jake failed to hit the button? He's getting like throttled by he uh, was a Gasher. I think Gasher grabbed him at that point. Um, 
and uh, he couldn't hit the button. And, and what I love about it's it's I see it so clearly in my mind, like a movie, right? I, where it's Jake is desperate to hit that button because once he hits that button, Roland's in there and Roland saves the day, right? And he goes to hit the button. He can't, he can't, he's being choked to death. Uh, and then the door just opens and you don't know why. And then you find out later that Blaine has eyes and ears everywhere in the city because he is the AI beneath the city, essentially. So it is such a great cinematic reveal. It's a great twist on the end of a scene where you think that this unkillable badass is going to come in and save the day. And it's really isn't it. It's Jake saving him himself, oi helping. And then Blaine, uh, you know, kind of the literal ghost in the machine, you know, coming in and, uh, and opening the door, uh, to finish everything off. So, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I love it. I, I, I think that this book is just like top to bottom banger. And, um, I, you know, I love the feeling of the content together. I love, uh, you know, I just, I just love the whole, the whole thing. Like to, to me, this is where the feeling of the dark tower that I, the emotional feeling of the dark tower that I always connect with is, is a uh, uh, birth tier. This is where it's born. It is this quartet uh, getting together and coming together and the family merging. And these are the versions of the characters that I, mm-hmm. I, I see when I picture them in my mind's eyes, the ones yeah. we get by the end of Wastelands. It very much feels like the promise of the premise book. Right. You know, like, like, like if you were going to make a trailer, there'd be, and you're trying to sit like there, this would be the book that you would draw. Right. The, for the sizzle from, reel. Right? This, yeah, yeah. This is cause this is the thing. Oh, what's, Oh, it's about this kind of weird quartet making their way through this, this insane fantasy world. Right. Like, Oh, okay. That's what this is. And, and I, there's something fiendishly clever or maybe ironic or I don't know about, the plot construction, like you pointed out, everybody does these surprising things, but it's not just Roland doing everything and everyone else along for the ride. Everyone was required to do something that only they could do. Yes. That yeah, Eddie bring, in particular. Yeah. But then ironically, that brings them to a point where a day, a literal day sex machina ending can happen. Mm-hmm. We are all here to do these things. And we have all done these incredibly specific tasks. And now the AI that controls the city is going to just make it all happen. So we get on the train and get out. I don't know. It's very, there's some very fun, like meta stuff happening. Just, it's just like kind of, this is like, there's, there's so much a story about a story, you know, and I'm, I'm enjoying that and enjoying seeing him just as a writer, kind of mm. thinking about this and echoing stuff, you know, he loves. And it's, it's super fascinating just as a, to kind yeah. of look at it as a, story about these stories we tell ourselves yeah can we talk about that uh uh, reverse course a little bit and go back to the uh that split narrative that we had that we were talking about going like uh, jake on his quest to get to roland's world and and uh, roland uh and eddie and Susanna like prepping that (laughs) right uh there's something that's very interesting to me about this this birth scene with um with Jake because he is pretty you know very uh, blatantly you know this is an allegory for for birth right or rebirth you know Jake is not he's kind of half stripped he's half naked when he comes out you know yeah, I'm, the, gonna, I'm literally expands. pulling you pulling you through a door yeah sure <laughs> yeah yeah pulling through through a, a, an open wet door um yeah in the ground and uh God, what did he you know, mean what did it mean what could yeah, what does it all mean but i mean it it what's weird is that roland is to, to me the the father figure obviously for for jake but it is eddie who is 
kind of literally his father in this scene because, you know, I mean, not to get gross, but like, you know, he, his, his role here, uh, like him and Susanna, there is an act of coitus that happens, you know, at this moment. And, and, uh, Eddie has to, to, uh, you know, be the uh, key master. He, the key, he's the key master. Like you, you found a perfect way to say it without me, like just fumbling through the dark there. Always go ghost the master. He, and you know, and he, he has to unlock this door and he pulls Jake through. And like I was mentioning earlier, what struck me about this scene is that, you know, again, Roland's Jake's father figure, but he is, even though Eddie is described as midwifing Jake into this world, it's really Roland who's the midwife here, right? He he's totally. only there to assist. He can only stand by and watch. And he, throughout the, you know, he's only there to like help Susanna, you know, grapple with this fuck demon, you know, that he, <laughs> he and, and like he just kind of gives her moral support. And then Eddie needs some, you know, help, uh, you know, keeping the the rain from washing away the door that he's drawing in the ground that's going to turn into a real door. Um, and all the while, while this is happening, Jake is in, you know, in the, the most fucked up haunted house ever that literally is coming to life and turning into uh, the house itself is turning into a demon made of cracked wood and everything to uh, to get him. It's such a thrilling thing, uh, the way it's executed. But like, I, I just couldn't help but feel like Eddie and Susanna are equal parents in this in a way that I never put together, you know, uh, uh, before. And uh, uh, because definitely the relationship Eddie has with Jake um, in this book and then in later books is more of a big brother kind of thing. He gets to be the the good version of his own big brother, you know, to this little sure. little kid. He gets to be the ideal version of Henry. You know, I don't know, but uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this um, on this moment? You know, Vespi, you might have just sold me on what had been kind of my least favorite. Uh, uh, not well. I think Detta is problematic. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. And, and, and I felt there's something reductive and kind of dissembling Susanna again. And also then to kind of reduce Susanna into the, the having sex with the, you know, incubus role or whatever. Right. Uh, but I like, I sort of, that has given me a kind of, I can see a sort of framework now because, because it's just, it's the most predictable version of it. And it would have been way more interesting if Roland had to do it. Right. Because I, I don't know. The, that's not what I would have expected. Like, it's just not how I would have thought. I was like, well, one of the two of us <laughs> right. is going to have to fuck it. I'm like, well, we think we know who that's going to be. But like, well, if it had been I, I do like Roland, that setup, though. The setup, because this, he's like, if it if it if they know that the, there's a, a fuck demon coming, they just don't know what the gender is. Right. right? So essentially, they he, you know, says if it's male, Susanna, it's going to go for you. If it's female, you know, don't worry, I got. This. Yeah. Plus, Roland <laughs> already got Roland already got succubus in the first book. And also like it, you know, also, uh, the, but to kind of take that sort of the way that the Vespi was just framing it for us, Eric, it's, it's uh Roland's impotent at that moment. Yeah. Right. Cause we're getting where his, his, his anima hasn't returned. Right. He's not complete. He doesn't <laughs> right. have his magic. He doesn't have his magic jawbone anymore. Right. He's, he's useless. He's functionally useless. Like somebody should do something about all the problems. And that's kind yeah. of all he can do because he's, he's, he's in pieces until he's kind of reassembled. All right. That, that has made me still, still think, bringing Detta back i think Susanna could have i would have liked to have seen Susanna handle that rather than Detta. but all right that's all right you've, right. you've, you've brought me around i appreciate that that's that was yeah kind of, i mean there's kind of the one my one sort of thing about the book was that they do that again at the end though dead is the one that si- uh, solves the uh priming the pump backwards riddle. yeah the, the yeah but it, i just felt like that could have been Susanna without it feeling like 
I think I think the thing I loved about the kind of Deta Odetta resolution and the sort of the birth of Susanna is that sort of it's it's kind of the same thing that happens to Roland in this book, right? It's about becoming a whole, right? bringing the halves together, yeah. Right, right. Uh, uh, and, and that the idea that, that that she would have to kind of then dissemble again to have access to these other instincts or whatever, I think it would have been more honest and earnest for for Eddie to realize that that darkness lives in Susanna, not data is still accessible somewhere, right? That because right. we all have dark sides, we all have meanness. We can all say shitty things and hurt people and do awful stuff and like that. I think right. that would have made her a. I don't know, a different character. I don't know. I, like I said, it was part of the problem was it was the most predictable version of that sequence. And like, I don't know, I was certain we were going to get like a, like a weird man on man ritual of the Jude kind of like, <laughs> like dicks out, start biting fellas kind of crazy. Like that would have been <laughs> fucking nuts. Right. Right. Um, um, Stephen King, let Roland 69, a dude, come on. <laughs> a dude demon. Uh, yeah, yeah. That oh man. Uh, uh, spoilers for later. If you're going to read later, skip ahead thirty seconds. When the ritual <laughs> that you thing came up, I literally uh-huh. did this gesture. Yep. On the airplane, like what? I didn't. <laughs> whoa, who would have this guy? When the, when I like, hit, it was the, the funniest fucking sitcom thing I was doing to, uh, to total strangers who had no idea why I was doing it. I believe it. Yeah. I in fact, when Eric and I both read it at the same time for like we did an episode on it or something when it came out. And when, when the, when the one character is like, what do you know about the ritual of truth? And I like, I made a noise. I was like (laughs) sitting in bed reading and made a noise such that my dogs ran into the room to see if I was okay. We were like, what the fuck is this commotion? I don't know if I could recapture the noise, but it was just like, oh, like something like that, <laughs> like, a, like a like a like a drive time DJ is in the in the house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it was such a. It was um. It reminded me of reading eleven twenty two sixty three, and when the kids from oh, it totally, show yeah. up, yeah, when he stumbles oh, like across, I started, I started uh, to cry like yeah, like, Richie and Bev, yeah, yeah, like it just like but like that um. And th- at no point would anyone have any feeling like they should have read it, which is the shit I hate about like metatextual stuff is there's always mm-hmm. some kind of feeling of like, oh, this is something Homework. I should be getting. Right, yeah, right. I should, I have to wiki this. And if you were just reading later, you're like, oh, okay, great. The weird old folklore guy knows this weird old thing. Cool. At no point is it like, oh yes, the, the <laughs> this is how you fight clown spiders from space. Um, <laughs> right. uh, another thing yeah. I'd like to add to that, uh, to the conversation about, you know, the sequence where the Jake birth sequence, for lack Mm. of a better term, is the sheer balls of King to be introducing this sequence. Like, I don't know if this is quite end of the first act. It feels like a little bit longer than that. But this is like the scene, the sequence that would end most stories. You know, this would be your big ending. And then there's like fucking another half. That's the middle. That's the middle point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's nuts. Like the 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 temerity of him uh, <laughs> is is very admirable. I think I didn't see the movie, but isn't that the end of the movie? I know pieces of this make it into the, the movie. End. End of the movie. No, mm, no, I no mean, the, it, it's the, not the end of the movie. But yeah, no, the, the yeah the sequence with Jake going into the house on Dutch Hill is in there. Uh, yeah, and it, it is the like worst the, thing you've ever seen. Like it, like the house does start to come to life, but it's really just like this blur of. CGI boards and planks that are like swirling around. And then like all of a sudden it just dies for no reason. And then Jake walks through the door. That's it. The whole thing is over in like, I don't know, less than a minute. It feels like 
they also they also lean on the tech side of things, which you know you get a little bit of here and you get a little bit of in later books. The North Central Positronics mm-hmm. right, stuff, right, right. essentially in the movie, they just said, "Fuck it, the doors are like stargates," and so instead right. of instead of it him needing a magic key to get through this you know magic door that on the other side of it is in a completely different looking down, he opens a door that looks like up into the world. You know what I mean? Right, right. Up into a whole different world that is and that door is being drawn into mud in, in a, you know, a, a sacrificial circle, essentially, you know, like instead of, instead of doing cool shit like that, it's like, nah, we'll just have giant sci-fi Stargate doors that, oh. that they'll go through. Oh, yeah. cool. Yep. And, you know, and before the whole bird, we're doing this so fucking out of order. I, I think but, it's appropriate. Yeah. I think it's appropriate <laughs> for, for, uh, but I want to say yeah. that the whole the whole part of the book where it's Jake in 77 New York and he's like right. doing his little, you know, sort of investigation in the in the Manhattan restaurant of the mind. And, then, you know, the, the the way New York is described and that that journey for Jake that he's on is so there's something about it that feels real cozy to me. It feels mm-hmm. like oh, very yeah, Spielbergian. Great, yeah. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got that. It's got the feeling of like a, you know, a fairy tale for adults or something. Right. That's I, a little I, whiff of the Hardy Boys, right? Yeah, a yeah. little bit. It's There's, a, it's a, it's a middle school private detective. He's going to get to the bottom of this thing. He's it's like Brown up in this motherfucker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's a very Spielberg kind of thing. Absolutely, and, and just like the latchkey kid energy. I know Jake would be older than me, but like I was a latchkey kid and that it seems insane now. Like, Oh my God, there's a child running around Manhattan. But like, yeah, no, that's just what it was like that back then. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just what happened. Yeah. That, that whole thing is, is, um, I just mon- another monster father, right. From, from King, another, another cocaine addled, uh, monster <laughs> right, father, yeah. uh, uh, showing up Jake's fucked up home life. And like the, the sad, like cleaning lady that is <laughs> the, the closest thing to a parent he has, like, yep. you know, uh, Jake's um, dad yeah, no, somehow somehow Midworld is better than Manhattan. Like like, like the world he's going through is far better. <laughs> yes. than, than the than the one he's leaving. Even with its inherent dangers, and even with Star Wars on the cusp of opening, it's better that Jake's, <laughs> <laughs> Jake's dad reminds me of uh, Morgan Sloat from mm. from the Talisman. You know, the, right. both these way overstressed executives that are like doing blow, and you know, probably up to God knows what, just horribly corrupt. Um, I've always, I've always thought of those two, two characters to together for, Hmm. that might be just surface level shit, but you know, there's, there's something going on there. So what, what have we not talked about for the wastelands Uh, that we need to address? Well, a big one. This is the book that like, uh, officially welcomes Randall flag into the fold. This is the one where we know that. We know that the Randall Flag is behind the Man of Black. Is the Man of Black? Maybe is a dozen other characters. I'm still very confused on this. <laughs> I am on, on too. This thing. I want. And I think. In, yeah. I, just on that point, I want. I kind of wanted to ask because I'm thinking like, so, like I'm a big a fan enough of this series, and I've read it enough times that I should know this and be able to explain <laughs> right. it. And I really, I, I, I don't think I can. Maybe, maybe Matt, you, maybe you can take a crack at it. The Man in Black, uh, Walter, the Ageless Stranger, Flag. Are all those all the same person? Or is Walter its own person and then the other ones are Flag? Or is it the Man in Black is Walter and the other ones are all Flag? That's kind of how my mind separates yeah. it out. Is that y'all's understanding? 
I, I think it's assumed they were all kind of facets of the same gem. Hmm. Like, so I guess I probably thought they were all the same or at least connected in, in you know what I mean? Like, sure. I guess it's sort of, I don't, I don't know. Um, I have a with feeling flag, like the, his initials are always RF, right. you know, um, there are other characters that pop up elsewhere in uh, King's bibliography where you could maybe make the argument, but you know, uh, the name Walter is so specific that it kind of mm-hmm. throws, throws that, throws that off for me. Yeah. I, I think maybe, yeah, I, I think that's also the danger too, of like maybe conflagrating any wicked or evil character. It's, you know what I mean? Like I think maybe, sure. maybe Walter is his own, his own bad vibe, you know, the way I, 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 I'm trying to break it down is to think about intent at the time of, of writing. Like I, I believe that when King was writing the gunslinger, that his intent was that, uh, you know, that Martin, the man in black was like literally dead. like at the end, he, he talked about maybe it could be a, a trick, but you know, that the man in black is, is one thing. And that man in black was also the one that pushed Jake. I think that was the intent, the complete intent, not like a, Oh, whoopsie. We just, you know, Jake, it was Jack Mort who was not the man in black, uh, who was dressed like a priest, you know, and that's why he confused him or whatever, which is to me, I feel like as a retcon that he figured mm-hmm. out a way to kind of have his cake and eat it too. I mean, yes, I think that the man in black is for sure, uh, Randall flag that Martin is for sure. Randall flag. Um, the rest, I'm not a hundred percent like positive about because there's like an in in as you'll get to in wizard and glass as you like hear more about john farson and stuff you you get this idea that that potentially farson is martin and and uh uh right and so if if farson is martin and martin is also walter odim and walter odim is also the man in black you know then they're all the same character so i i i think that the reason why it's so muddled is i think that as king was kind of going along he retrofitted a lot to try to you know bring in uh and put under the umbrella of randall flag and and so that's why it's not very clear to me but i'm in that exact same position as you uh scott where i was just like i sh- i should know this dead to rights because not only have i read the books multiple times i've read robin first book oh, right. I, you know <laughs> you know i it's it's like i it i've read so much you know about, about I guess, this I mean, stuff like like if it's yeah. uh, like walter odim and just dim seems to be such a tie to the man in black right mm-hmm. dim and black, or, at least, like, or at least the Marilyn, you know merlin kind of yeah, yeah, but like so if Trump, if, yeah. if Odim is 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 the man in black and the man in black is flag, you know what I mean? That that feels like yeah. that tracks question mark. Yeah. That also, you know, the, this feels like it's a war ultimately being fought in like imagination, right? That's why it's a little bit of everything because it's a little right. bit of everything. And so mm-hmm. it it would track for me that this is kind of where flag would come from. This sort of like destroying this is this kind of you know that's kind of what flag does. Right. And, right. and that would make sense that he would be here in those kind of ingrained repeating. I would, I would, I, I like, I don't feel robbed if it, and you know what I mean? Especially cause it doesn't sound like it, it resolves in any specific clarity where someone sits down and I was this guy and I was that guy. And then I did this and then I did that. So like, you know, I, I think, I think it tracks for me that, that, that 
you will get again without going into deep spoilers mm-hmm. you do get moments where Randall Flag has conversations about that stuff you just but the thing is you can never trust what he says exactly so exactly. so it's uh you know he might be saying something just to fuck with somebody so you have no idea but i i can uh, once again talk about another vivid memory from reading this i do remember you know again this is before the the MCU was, you know, a thing before the DCEU was a thing where, yes, comic books crossed over, but that was pretty much the extent of this shared universe idea. So whenever I read this as a kid and I had read and watched the McGarris stand and I'd read the book, whenever I get to this point in the story and I know this the guy exact line in, you're going to say, well, and, yeah, and he introduces himself, uh, you know, and he he makes a, a mention of it. Well, he does the most Randall flag thing ever is he comes to this TikTok man who's barely alive and essentially says, Hey, I once had a protege that said my life for you. Yep. I like the sound of that. That's weird. You know, and you're, and I'm like, Oh my fucking God, yeah. it's Randall <laughs> <Yep>. flag, <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, and you're just like, fuck man. And, and suddenly it like connected a bunch of shit all together. And, and, and here comes Randall flag at the very end, walking out of the shadows described as like walking out of the shadows you know and you kind of get a sense of like could this be the same a similar thing to the randall flag thing and then he brings that out and just throws the dick on the table and you're like holy shit you know this is all connected man it's not just you know in our world or some version of our world this is like other characters are 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 connecting and and you get you know a few more of those before you're done with this i i'm i don't think is a spoiler to say but uh uh but yeah no that that's a such a great moment i totally agree Yeah, I I also like I don't mind retconning in the name of thematic unity. You know what I mean? Like, like it feels right. It feels true. Right. And it's not as clunky as like I keep bringing up like Star Wars, but it's not as clunky as having Obi-Wan go. "Ah, Well, what I told you was true from a certain point of view. You know, it's just like, no, you just didn't know that fucking Vader was yeah. Luke's father. You weren't ready to commit to that at the beginning of, of the first Star Wars. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, is, it's not. Know. Yeah, it's not quite so. Yeah, I think it, it feels um, consistent. Right. And 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 it's impossible to imagine what page 8000 is going to be when you're on page 10. Yeah. No matter who you are. Like, so, yeah, no, sure. And 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 I don't. Again, this is a, it's easy, easy, quote unquote, for us to kind of read these and these kind of binge things. They were written over a human's lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't know what it meant because he didn't know what it meant. Right. I don't mean like, oh, this is my plot, but like, I don't think he understood who Flag was for him. I don't think he understood how important the Dark Tower was for him. I don't think he knew. When we say magnum opus, it doesn't just mean biggest, longest work, right? This feels like, like, like we talked about this last time, like this is a life's work, right? This is a statement yeah. about creation and creativity and the creative act. Um, I don't think he had discovered what his symbols were, what his, what his mythography was, what the kind of, what his themes were, right? Maybe I think like, and so when he kind of is unifying this and bringing it together. Interesting thing about the end of this book. He's like, yeah, look, so there's going to be uh, uh, four more books, maybe five and maybe a couple short stories. But like, he knows at the end of it, that the wrap up of this, at least in the edition that I have, he's clear. He knows what the next, he knows where you like, at least the back half, right? He's got the big breaks figured and all that stuff. And like, well, oh. you've probably got the edition that has the additional forward that was part of the reissue. 
Yeah, probably so. I think that that probably, yeah, I think that's, I think, I think, I think they all, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, because, like you know, I, I, I was it you also, that we talked to about this? In the, on the, on the, on the, I'm sorry. Just like, the rap, like he's, he's hedging his bet about like, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, but I'm, I'm the tone he has at the end about, Hey, sorry, this is ending in a weird place. Here's where this is mm. going to, he's no longer wondering, will I ever get back to this? I sure hope so. He's like, yeah. when I show up here, I dig in and it takes a hold of me and I'm here for a long time. And there's, Four more books, maybe five. Here we go. Yeah. So was, and, was, and he also describes how difficult it is to each time. He's like, he gets it gets harder book by book for him uh, in that wrap up, you know, to to, to come revisit out, yeah. it. But he's like, if the demand's there, I'm I'm always game to to come back and and continue the story. Yeah, I think we talked about it on the the last one about the outline he wrote, right? Or was that somebody else? I think it was somebody else. Well, allegedly. Stephen King had an outline for the entire series written at some point where he was very, very young, you know, early 20s ish. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, he started writing the first one at 19. Um, I don't know if he had it written then, but he had like a blueprint. And then that was destroyed somewhere along the line. Mm-hmm. And as you work your way through these next several books, you'll see that there things happen in them that may have like uh, a correlation to real world events that he couldn't possibly have been aware of at that age. And so I'm really curious. I really want to, that's among the top five things I want to ask the Mm -hmm. dude, if I get a chance to sit down and talk to him for a while, it's like, well, well, how drastically did this change and how, you know, you lost that outline, but surely there were parts of it that you kept. So what's, what's the new shit and what's the, what was part of the old plan right up and to and including the, the ending outline. yeah yeah because yeah, the outline could literally just been a page of you know and then roland gathers his new quartet just like he had an old quartet mm-hmm. and and then they go on adventures and then this is what happens at the end that could literally just be what the outline was you know and uh so you have you know all the little details like you mentioned some of the real world events that he couldn't possibly never have uh, imagined and you know mirrored in and folded into the story you know obviously those are details that happen yeah, happen later outline or not yeah it's speaking from my just for myself somebody who kind of works in a a, a deadline driven serial medium like my outlines are always kind of it's always sort of like if we were going to drive across the country without a map mm-hmm. we're just going to kind of you know let's say let's say we're going to start in chicago we're going to drive to la Hey, in a day or so, if we don't cross the Mississippi, we've gone the wrong way, hmm. right? And if we pass a board, if we're if there's suddenly Mounties here, we're going into Canada. That's not where California <laughs> is, but right. but but that's okay if you know. Then we have to get down to Las Vegas, and then we have to get here. You know, so you so there's like a, you have like the kind I would I'll have like the beads that I know. A I'll have A and not even I'll have like A and D and H, and that's enough. And then I can kind of figure out along the way or, or improvise or changes way more true. Like at Marvel where the publishing plans, you know, in a shared universe storytelling kind of changes everything. Like at one point I had like another like year and a half or so on Iron Man I could have done, but didn't it just kind of like mm. just excised that out. Right. Or like there's, and, and just cause the, the shape of things changed and it kind of wasn't able, I wasn't able to do it anymore. Mm, right. Um, and so, but so there's a flexibility that lets you kind of, that lets that I w- would work with to kind of grow and contract. And I would imagine probably had that kind of general by outline sort of, you know, 
like if you were going to describe the book to somebody in a hundred words or whatever, you know, like, I don't even, maybe you didn't even know that specific stuff, but like, okay, so they get Jake back and then they proceed into the heart of a, you know, city run by an insane computer and only escape, uh, uh, and they escape a trap on a train that's racing them to the middle of the country. That's going to kill them before they get there. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's that, yeah, that happens, but there's a lot of color, you know, that is, that is missing and a lot of tone and that kind of stuff. So like, I would, It'd be fascinating to ask him about for sure. Then again, mm-hmm. he might be one of those kind of hyper planny writers. It never seems like he is, though, from what I know. Yeah, I don't think that's no. The that's case definitely at all. definitely not his type to to do that. Yeah, James Elroy wrote uh, writes outlines that are sometimes longer than his novels. Hmm. Um, you know, and in fact, <laughs> so like, I believe that that. everybody works different. Everyone works differently, right? Right, right. Uh, another aspect of this story that we haven't—I re- mean, we've we've touched on it, but haven't really dug in—is uh, Blaine the Mono. Yes. Um, what do you what do you make of the the conceit of this character? Just it's 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 <laughs> it's everything about it is weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the name, the words—it feels weird in my mouth. The color know, like, of it, all of bright it, pink. It, yeah. yeah, and I, I love the kind of you know, Thomas, the tank engine by way of Hal from 2001 (laughs) (laughs) of it all. But like, it's so bizarre and, and, and the weird ghost inside the ghost, like, don't make him angry. Shut up. (laughs) Like I need riddles. He's upset now. Like, wait, (laughs) what is that? Yeah. Uh, The split uh, personality. Yeah. Yeah. It's very bizarre. And it only continues to be bizarre in wizard and glass. So I am, I am, ambivalently entertained but like find it all like it's hard to say it's just a weird blaine what the mono why why, why don't we do the uh, oh okay all right here we are We're yeah just, like I'm why wouldn't going, it be um, blaine the train you know I, a monorail is a train you know blaine yeah. the mono it sounds like blaine the mono sounds like you like a like a a a sickness you catch in preschool or something. Yeah. Or, okay, Bono the mono and make it a U2 themed uh, <laughs> travel experience. I don't, yeah. It's such a weird, all of it is, it's very bizarre, but like as it has, you know, been driving people insane, listening to just the drum and bass of Velcro fly for centuries. Uh, I'm going with it. Sure. Let's see what happens. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, you know, I love the way that Blaine is set up through introducing him through the, the Barrel Evans book, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that Jake knows that this yes, is important. Sir. And it and it's a book that connects every single other uh, New York bound member of the quartet as well. And that they all know this entity in the, as it was, you know, explained in this children's book and you know, in our world. Uh, you know, I love that. And I love the rhyming scheme. And that's probably why he didn't call it Blaine the Train. It's because he he had come up with this Blaine as a pain. And that is the truth uh, thing and didn't want to mm-hmm. like triple up on the rhyme scheme. But uh, I don't know. I like I've I was fascinated by this character as a kid and I assume Matt, you didn't read the version that has the art in it. Correct. Um, you should look up the art if you haven't already. Um, oh, the yeah. the drawing, uh, the the painting of that children's book cover has been something that stuck with me since I was eleven or twelve years old when I read this, um, because they describe it in the book as you know he's got kind of this this train with the weird grin that is pulling you know truckloads of kids behind it uh and all the kids you know on first blush look like they're 
they're screaming and, and laughing and having fun. And when you look closer, you know, they, they're not having a good time, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think that that uh, Ned Dameron did the art. And I think that mm-hmm. the the way that he drew that was like absolutely perfect. I don't know. I just love the whole setup, the whole mythology behind it. You know, I love that the, the glimpses of his brain you get as they're wandering through the, the underbelly of Lud and, and uh, you know, the personality, the split personality, which kind of mirrors, you know, what was happening with Susanna. It mirrors what was happening Roland. with Roland and, and Jake, you know, that, you know, these, Oh my God, these, this drawing is fucking terrifying. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, And so it's, uh, you know, I don't know, like, I've always loved the character. And and just as a kid, it was reading it. And, you know, I'll never be able to shake this feeling is, you know, I love reading about people solving riddles, Mm -hmm. you know, because I'm too dumb to really solve like if I if I was on you know, in their situation, I would be so fucked. Oh, yeah. Because I am terrible at solving riddles like god awful. Like, I, I don't know if I think too literally or if I don't think at all. I don't know what it is. I can't solve a riddle to save my life. And uh, but I'm fascinated reading about people trying to figure out a riddle. And so that whole conceit, you know, I, obviously you can, you know, tie it to Gollum and Riddles in the Dark and, and from Lord of the Rings, uh, Matt's favorite book. But I, I do love Blaine. And I think that Blaine is a just a fascinating, once again, bizarre out of left field addition to this thing that like, sure. As you said, sure. Fuck it. Let's roll with it. You know, we we've gotten a robot bear and, you know, lobster monsters at this point. So how about an artificially intelligent train that loves riddles and and is trying to commit suicide with, uh, with everybody on board. Have you seen like the, um, the HR Giger nightmare trains? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It made me, it just made me think of that. And, and, you know, it made me think too of, I don't know that this tracks with, the age of King's kids and stuff, or maybe even grandkids. But like, you know, my kids would like loop on TV shows and like, there was just one show they wanted to watch. And we were just watching that show. And like this mm-hmm. does that there's almost something punitive about uh, the feelings of like somebody forced to watch Thomas, the tank engine too many times. <laughs> he could be. <laughs> um, he was just there for George Carlin, baby. Like he was watching that on his own just to watch Ringo guy George. showed up for Ringo stayed for Ringo, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, but I wondered that too, is there something to like, it is this kind of anti Thomas, the tank engine by way of the HR Giger nightmare trains. <laughs> right. that, oh God, that drawing is so awful. Oh my God. <laughs> Another thing that Blaine does that is, you know, one of my favorite things throughout the series is that it, like he's it's not just an unhinged train with a split personality that loves riddles. It also speaks in celebrity voices from our world. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I love that from the moment I got into the Dark Tower, those those glimpses of like, you know, a gas station from our world popping up in the the detritus of this world or David Quick's plane or fucking Velcro fly. All or the or Hey Jude or like Hey Jude, right, right. I, I don't remember if this shows up in Wizard in Glass or here first, but like there's a literal map of America. Mm. That's where they are. Where they are heading towards Topeka, Kansas. Like this yep. is specifically happening in some weird echo of America, of, of North America. Like, oh, that's weirdly specific, right? Beyond the kind of culture which kind of exists outside of borders, right? Like you can hear CZ Top anywhere around the world. Like that was like, oh fuck, they're in America. Yeah, that's another thing I'm not in 100% on. And you're going to get to a point in Wizard and Glass. I'm trying to think of how I... I'm just going to abandon this train of thought. 
Yeah, well, like it also uh, the, <laughs> because the, the it's just I, I don't I don't think there's a way to talk about it where it's going to make any Mid-world sense. Midworld is, is explained as I can't remember. What, there's a phrase that comes up, and I'm I'm a bad reader for not remembering. But like it, it it feels like it is a place that is contracting. Like so, if suddenly we find ourselves not in America anymore, like oh like oh it's every they don't say everything's falling apart. I can't remember what they say, but like it wouldn't oh. surprise me if we're not in America for long because everything keeps getting worse and like it keeps falling towards entropy. Right. Uh, uh, and sort of contracting or whatever. It's just sort of, I always imagine like a, like a, like a piece of paper just getting crumpled up and suddenly these, these planes of paper are now touching and that kind of thing. Like, hmm. so if we're not there for long, it would not surprise me as it feels like we are in a, an entropic system deep into decay. I just realized that there's a, you saying that just made me remember what the explanation is to the question that I had. Hmm. We'll loop back around to that later at some other date, but, uh, Hmm. Yeah. Just maybe that's a book, a book for comment. It, yeah, it's, it's something, it, it, it's <laughs> Eric, Eric. So you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the introduction of thinnies. Mm-hmm. That's what explain. Yeah. Okay. So I had, I had kind of forgotten that detail for a, right. a second, but you'll get there, Matt. Don't worry. I mean, you can explain away the thinnies for uh, Andrew quicks. Andrew was the one who, right. It's, What's the TikTok man it, like? Andrew Quick who, is the TikTok man. David Quick is his father. David Quick was the yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, they kind of explain that away with a throwaway line about how you know the Bermuda Triangle in mm-hmm. in, in uh, the in our world you know could p- potentially be a door another doorway here and uh, uh, thinnies are are kind of thin spots between realities. That's why they're called called thinnies. And uh sometimes it's uh it could be a a World War II plane flew through through one and ended up crashing in Roland's world. It, or, you know, it could be, you know, Lovecraftian style monsters on the other end. You don't know right. which reality you're bordering up against. Um but uh uh you know, it's a great, great conceit for a for a story like this. Yeah. Allows for a lot of monkey business. Yeah, it does. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that. But the celebrity voices thing that Blaine does yeah, is like really one funny. of my favorite things. And mm. I was thinking on this reread, I was like, they got it if they if they turn this into if they ever make this correctly, you know, they got to get that the Josh Robert Thompson, the guy that came in and did the did uh, the Morgan Freeman thing, <laughs> Morgan Freeman for us on that on that one episode because, yeah. but he could nail all of those voices. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I think, and there's something just very fucking funny to me about the Blaine speaking in John Wayne's voice. It's like, oh, yeah. hold on, little partner, or something like that. And yeah, that's there, that's great. Shit. There's a thing I there's a thing I tried to do when I wrote Punisher, and I don't think it worked. I understand what I was going for, but it, I don't think it played. And it just might just be because that's the Punisher, and I just wasn't good at writing it. But like where he would make these references to like pop culture things. And it, I, I think it played as jokes and I didn't mean it to be like jokes. I didn't mean it to be like, look, the Punisher made a reference to Billy Joel, but mm-hmm. there is something so deeply scary to me about the Punisher shooting up a mob restaurant and having this, having scenes from an Italian restaurant playing in his head while he's doing it. Like mm-hmm. just that something that put him in our world, made it monstrous, made him more monstrous and scary to me mm-hmm. or that he would, he would, make Gilligan's Island references or whatever, or just sort of like, has, has just kind of, so, so I, I think it always played like bad Scooby-Doo. I think it always played like, eh, eh? yeah, look, I it's a see, reference to a thing. I can There's understand the thinking about, behind that, but I can also imagine it coming across as like, 
unnecessary, like forced, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I think it felt like I was trying to be funny and it, and it was really, it was really was scary. It was, so what this meant to me was like, it's, this is, it, it worked though. I thought of it here just because it made Blaine frighteningly insane to me. Mm-hmm. And, and even worse, trying to communicate with me in my language, you know, which somehow like then that's sort of like, Oh, this is a thing, you know, and like, right. This is your thing, right? You're a person, you know, who John Wayne mm-hmm. is. Here's a John Wayne voice. Yeah. See now it's okay. And it's something that, like, I don't know. It, yeah. Like I said, it, it didn't work in the comic, but it, it, it creeped me. It, 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 the, the effect I was going for, I, I felt here that kind of being creeped out. Oh, this crazy mm. person. And I share a set of references. That's really frightening for some reason. Right. Mm. It just makes well, it more it, real. You know, he, he's, it also makes him a little bit playful in his cruelty. And as he's like doing John Wayne and was it the other one, was it Clint Eastwood? It was somebody else, somebody big. Um, uh, as he's gun, doing that. Gunslinger. Yeah, and it will yeah, both of them and there's there's a connection. So there's fuck uh, I it, never even made that connection. Yeah, so like the fam- famous western stars and uh and you also get that weird statue of Roland. Do you guys catch that? Like that that's in the cradle or whatever, that giant mm-hmm. fucking stat- statue that like down it- to like the missing fingers and shit. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, of of Roland where it's just like this kind of is his landmark of an of inevitability you know of like this is you come you know you were destined to come here Mm -hmm. you know and this is almost like prophecy you are foretold to have come to this spot and you know they'll recognize your your friends will recognize the statue as you um not quite you but you is it that that's here that's the it has to be because they're in the cradle yeah i somehow missed how did they make the statue with the missing finger like you know the plays in the, like we talked about that last time like i have a feeling i know exactly how this book is going to end and the mm. cyclical nature of it all but the idea of there being a statue of a guy who just lost two fingers missing his two fingers it's been here for a hundred years or whatever yeah like that's oh yeah. fuck that's great somehow all, all that passed, passed that you know yeah. there's so much going on in, <laughs> right. in, in in once you get to lud it's so much uh, it's, it's, it throws a lot at you it's yeah. it's crazy yeah i mean there's this whole you know, decades of, of story that have happened here, you know, that, that are first hinted at at the, the Nazi plane crash that they find. And then right. uh, kind of paid off with the, uh, the grays and the pubes and their eternal war. I know the thing that maybe set, set me off against the idea of, of, of Blaine. Is it the gangs or the grays and the pubes? I just think already, yeah. I, I just don't like things from blood. I think that's the, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they um, all have grenades too. Gross. Yeah. Um, I love that the, the Lud- suicidal, huh? That Blaine is also deeply suicidal. Yes. Oh yeah. And that that made me think again about the kind of relentlessness of addiction and sort of like if I can't keep my brain occupied, I'm going to kill myself and everyone inside of me. Mm. Right. <laughs> like we're trapped. We got to get out. Ah! I hope I can yep. think think my way out of this one. Like there's some something. And this is clearly me projecting my own shit into it. But the other thing that Blaine isn't just nuts. He's suicidal. Yeah. Uh, which is even more frightening and weird. So, and uh, 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 Scott, I cut you off. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that I, I love that he, he gives you just enough information to get through Lud without feeling completely lost, but it feels right. like there's an entire other book to be written about what exactly is fucking going on here. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like this, right. the city has gone nuts, but there's still thousands of people living in it, but it, there's no, you know, nothing really works. And, you know, what is this war about? And, you know, the fact that it's grays and pubes would lead you to believe that it's a, a thing about like, you know, adults versus uh, 
elder people, this weird little gang, Gasher and the boys living down there with with TikTok man, and they're like pirates and shit, and they live in this like <laughs> neon chamber, like or the, the steel orb that they follow through mm-hmm. through the bowels of blood. Like, what the fuck was that even made for? Like, what it, it just like a panel opens up in the ceiling and it drops out. Like you read through it and it all works, but then when you stop and think about it, there's so much shit happening there that it's fascinating. And and I I on the one hand, I wish we had more information. On the other hand, I kind of like that we don't. So it, it yeah. is just as confusing to us as it is to, you know, the cotet when they're fucking trying to make their way through it with their lives. Yeah, yeah. I think it was that sort of just crazy spirit of invention mm-hmm. that made me made me think of 2000 AD when I read it. Like there's just, mm. just, just like this sort of almost Hieronymus Bosch like compulsion to fill every inch of space with some new nightmare. Sure. You know, and something horrible and weird in Lud. And that's a kind of this is that sort of it's a kind of visual strategy for those early years of 2000 AD, at least in, in my exposure to them. And so this just had that like you just go over it with a magnifying glass and see something new and insane happening in the background all over the place. And like, it's, it's, it's really mm-hmm. remarkably bizarre piece. It also makes me wish he's done some, like when I say proper science fiction, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, what would that be like? What would that look like? Um, King science fiction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've talked about this on the show before. Like he's, he's dabbled in it a few times. Um, yeah. yeah. And, they tend not to work. Dreamcatcher, Tommyknockers. Tommyknockers, right. Uh, right. I, I suppose you could make the argument that from a Buick 8 is. It feels. Uh, that's, that's his, I think that's his Lovecraft to me. That one's, that's his Lovecraft. And hmm. I don't know if I said this last time or not, but I think if you cut that last chapter out, it is his masterpiece. Well, hmm. I, I am I, a Buick 8 fan. Yeah, uh, I think it is an unimpeachable masterpiece if you cut out the last chapter. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get off on it. Well, the jaunt is something yes. that should also be brought in. And mm. a lot of the feeling you get from Ludd and, and all the, you know, the North Central positronic stuff, like all that stuff feels like it's in that jaunt neighborhood is, mm-hmm. uh, for me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, maybe Beach world. Mm. Yeah, he's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe the, the whole kind of maybe the reason his horror works as well as it does is that so much of his writing is grounded and recognizable and human, Mm -hmm. you know, and that kind of risk Mm -hmm. of science fiction is that remove that sort of cold. (laughs) If this was happening in a science fiction book, Blaine wouldn't be talking like John Wayne. Blaine would be talking like, you know, Gleep Glorp, the hero. And then he would have to explain (laughs) who Gleep Glorp the hero was and why it was unsettling. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have the same effect. Right. So I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's for the best. Well, uh, kind of along that track, something that I, I'd like to maybe this will put the pin in, in Blaine for a minute. But what I really love about it is it once they're on board, it's not just uh, a train, right? Like he can make the the walls and floor invisible, mm-hmm. you, you know, use, well, not literally, but what he's using is like cameras on the outside and CG renderings of what the. Uh, of what the uh, uh, exterior looks like. So they can get like this vision of, of traveling through the wastelands, which then themselves have been described as like, this is their only possible route to the tower through 
this area because these the wastelands are irradiated, mm. right? Very fallouty. This whole section from Lud, yeah, you know, and and uh, you know, describing the mutated creatures and shit they're seeing. You know, it's uh, it's very fallouty here. But um, I agree. Uh, but yeah, I, I really love that that you know that Blaine isn't just transportation at this point right that he he goes oh by the way here's a you know a thing that i can do i can fucking make it look like you're just hurtling at 800 miles per hour you know through this this space um and also that he gets it like that part is so fucking rad oh Oh, i don't understand why you're terrified by this it's where you live i thought you'd enjoy seeing it oh okay weird yep um but i also love that he is cowed by roland at a certain point where the power dynamic shifts from blaine to roland and it, it, with roland just like essentially shaming this intelligence behind the the train and calling him rude and shit and and like it, and it works you know and striking this bargain between you know mm-hmm. uh, uh between uh the two entities saying you know essentially like listen like we we get that you you would just delight in murdering us along with yourself you know but if you want riddles there's got to be something in for us so you can go ahead and kill us and kill us right now uh but then you're going to be left unsatisfied so we can give you something but we have to have something that we're f- fighting for so give give us your word that you'll drop us off before you you know run off the rails uh, if we can defeat you in this riddle competition you know and uh i i love it i i love that there's that power shift where roland's been so much in the background for so much of the story even starting from the very beginning when when their confrontation with shardick it's it's uh uh, Susanna who, mm-hmm. who stops it. Right. It yeah, is yeah. like throughout this entire thing, roll. This is now Roland complete as a person, you know, finally got his family together is on the quest that he has dedicated his life to finally for good in, in, in working order. Uh, and he steps up you know, stands up quietly on this, this plane here on this, uh, uh, this train who's just, being such a dick to them and threatening them and, and whatnot and, and commanding them. And he just stands up and goes, uh, no, you don't know who you're fucking with and has this moment where he takes charge. And I love it. I love it. It's such a great moment. It does feel too, like we are leaving and and here's where I'm, I'm worried that I might be remembering ahead. If that makes sense Mm -hmm. into wizard and glass, but the kind of whiff of, part of what gunslinger training was and what just Roland's life was like at the celebration of riddles as part of his youth and culture. And there was a festival about riddles and that kind mm-hmm. of the kind of um, fallen Camelot. We start to get like some of that, that kind of vibe of, mm-hmm. of, of who Roland was not just before he was a gunslinger, but before everything went to shit, that's just super, super intriguing and kind of effortlessly comes out. And the kind of parlay that, that he does with Blaine, like there's this, there are these rules of engagement they're following. Even if I'm a suicidal artificial intelligent monorail blasting you towards Kansas, where I really want to kill us all. There's certain rules we follow. Like I'm going to stop listening to you now because I promise to stop listening to you now. And that kind of stuff mm-hmm. like this is like, like, wow, there's a code here. There's a, that, that's, it's, it's cool getting these kind of seeing it in action without having it rather than having it be explained to us. It just makes all of the, the, the weight of the history that we don't quite know yet heavier and more real and more interesting. Mm. Right. Well, anything else? Have we, have we reached Blaine? <laughs> are we on the end? Are we, are we on our way to Topeka metaphorically speaking? Gentlemen? Yes. Oh, let me ask you this. How do you think, oh. you know, you, 
remind me, you had never, you hadn't sat down and read through the whole series until recently no, when you started. First, this is the okay. first book I was totally new on. Okay. So I'm just curious how you think you would have reacted uh, if you got to the end, if you had been reading this as a kid. It's 1991. You blast through the wastelands. And then it's six years until that <laughs> cliffhanger gets resolved. Uh, how do you, how well do you think you would have handled that? You know, I have a memory. I may have been given this book as a first edition as a Christmas gift hmm. in 1991. And I don't know that I read it because I realized I had to go back and reread everything because it had been six years and I had kind of, wait, where was, where was this? Where were we? You know, and I, that might've been the obstacle then that stopped me from reading this. I, I might be wrong about that, but boy, I don't think I, I, I just, I'm just ringing a faint bell. The, the kind of the, um, the Ned Dameron cover is ringing a real bell to me. Um, I mean, it's, I think if I could have read it concurrently, it, it just, it, it, some, it feels more blockbuster than, um, than, than to me more, more, like I said, it's all red meat and velocity. It's just, thrill and sensation and set piece after after thrill and sensation and set piece i mean it's such an adrenalized race of a book i think it would have been amazing to have read and agonizing to have then had to wait for wizard and glass <laughs> full-on beating yeah i just feel because you you would have been it just feels like you're just running at a million miles an hour you know by the end of this thing it's so the gang's together and everyone's working it's all clicking and like yeah, no, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I was, it felt great to be able to put drawing of the three down and pick wastelands up. It felt great to put wastelands down and pick wizard, wizard and glass up. Mm -hmm. Like, like as one gesture, it wasn't like, well, I finished wasteland. Now I can go to bed and tomorrow I'll start wizard glass. Nope. I went right into wizard and glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How could you not? Yep. So, yep. If there's a better review of a 512 page book, I can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember going to the like I, I I've said before this all these three books the um uh the paperback editions with the artwork were in my middle school library that's how I came across them uh, which is fucked up to think about now like I don't think today you could you could uh, find uh, the Dark Tower books in a middle school Surely random not. middle school in Texas and in, in the Austin Independent School District I remember finishing wastelands going great. And I turned it back into my school library and I went back to the, their little Stephen King shelf to grab the fourth book because I wasn't aware that this was the last one that had been out. Right. Um, it, it's not like they were all numbered at this point. You know, it's like, it's not like we knew that this was three of seven or whatnot, right, right, you know, right. this, it, so it was just a series. And I just assumed since they had the other ones that, that maybe, the fourth one was there and it wasn't. And then I remember having to like ask the librarian and, and all this stuff. I, I asked people because it wasn't the, this was pre internet being just at the tip of everybody's fingers. So I couldn't just like look it up. I couldn't just go to Amazon and go, Oh, there isn't a fourth book uh, out yet. So it took like a little bit of discovery for me to be disappointed and going, Oh shit. Well, this just hasn't happened yet. And, uh, and then the wait was eternal. And, you know, and then this point we were getting books that uh, at that, time like it, i really like but they're not 
you know, they're not my favorite era of King. So it's like, you know, I was getting the Dolores Claiborne's I was getting, uh, Gerald's game, you know, I was getting all these, these very serious, you know, dealing with trauma. (laughs) Well, yeah. So I was just like, uh, fucking give me, yeah. It was like, yeah, this is all, all nice. You know, lady handcuffed naked to a bed, but, uh, I need to find out what fucking happens with Blaine and, and our content. When's that coming? Yeah, you know, it really, I, I wonder, it is such a, it's not even, it doesn't, it isn't really a cliffhanger. It is a, it, the story stops, like it, it cuts, we just cut out, right? Like it, yeah. it, it is not a, you know, um, it does feel, it does have a little Back to the Future 2 vibe where mm-hmm. like, what? It's not a whole, like it doesn't feel like a, yeah you know, but like for that would, I, yeah, so it, it, it. I think that would have been the best kind of infuriating. You know what I mean? Like, again, I can't, what's a better review for a 512 page book than more. Right. But like yep. it, it would have, I think that would, I think that more than anything, I would have felt acutely. I remember when I was a kid, I read through the first three over and over and over again, because for the longest time, that's all there was. And right. as a result, I think the third one is the one I've read the most out mm. of all of them. I just kept rereading it. And I remember at a certain point, uh, like drawing my own comics to resolve the, the <laughs> cliffhanger. And then, oh, fantastic. you know, uh, in another life, I would have been an artist. I was actually, I'm, I'm actually a really good artist. I just don't ever flex that muscle anymore. You know, I have no real reason to. Uh, but at, at that age, I could not draw women to save my life. I'm still actually very, very poor at it. Something about the, the facial structure uh, eludes me. And I remember trying to draw these comics and Susanna just looked like it, it, it just looked like, you know, when like Bruce McCullough would wear a wig on kids in the hall <laughs> or something, you know, it wasn't even close to being, you know, natural looking and getting very discouraged and stopping, which was probably a good idea. Cause I had no fucking idea how to resolve that. <laughs> you know, I was just like <laughs> hoping it would come out while I was, while I was drawing those things. Uh, but yeah, that weight was interminable and you know, what a gift for anyone that's like picking up this series now that you don't have to wait. Yeah. How glorious is that? Yeah. It's just, yeah. You can stay in this world a long time. Well, I think that about does it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, holy shit. Almost too unbelievable. I was like, man, (laughs) I literally just thought, and we got it down in under an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, hopefully everybody listening feels the same way. Time. This is our our version of, of that 500 page book feeling of weird in mid world, man. Mid world time is different than our time. It sure is. Yeah. This is the best homework you guys. Thank you for having me back. (laughs) Thank you for finally giving me a reason to, to, to commit to this journey. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving every page. Of course. And, uh, you know, uh, we've we've already got our our wizard and glass episode down, but uh, do check in with us. Just that's, you know, via email. Scotty in? Am I wrong, or is that Scotty in? Yeah, yeah it was. that's the yeah, Scotty in episode. I'm not gonna. I'm uh, not gonna beat that. It's a good one. Uh, and we talk a bit yeah, about I the. Can't, uh, I can't wait to listen to it. We talk a bit about <laughs> the uh, the pilot for that Glemazara shot for the Dark Tower oh. TV series that he was trying to do for shot. Amazon. Actually shot. Wow. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, we had Glenn on the show last year. Uh, you probably don't want to listen That's to that. That's right. No, 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 no. Because I, I stopped. That was one where I stopped. I think you guys were talking about it and I stopped. Yeah. yeah. And he lays out. That's one to listen to after you've read the whole series because it's pretty amazing what they had planned. And um, Glenn sent us a copy of the, the episode and we watched it. 
the the pilot. How, how is it? Uh, it's good. I like it more every time I see it. It's also, I don't know how to describe it since you haven't read Wizard and Glass yet, but it essentially starts with Wizard and Glass. I know that doesn't make sense right hmm. now, but it will. Okay. okay. Um, and Although I, I know that we get a lot of past story in Wizard and Glass. Like I know we get a lot of backs of Roland's backstory. So yeah, so it, it, it essentially kind of in the blurb on the back of the book. So like, I get that now you get the pilot has the classic man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. Um, and then it, you know, he goes to Brown's hut and has that whole interaction there, you know, and then he goes into the desert and rather than reaching or having the flashback where he goes into Tull, you know, just in the order it's written in the book, it picks up where, the flashback in wizard and glass starts. Okay. So it's sort oh. of, it's sort of a remix of the elements, but, um, very recognizable. I, I think Glenn absolutely knew what, what he was fucking doing. I think he's shared that pilot with a few people now because I've seen other King podcasts and other King, uh, what, you know, websites and stuff. No such thing. <laughs> uh, your fuss. I, I, I saw a fucking post online at one point. That had like screen caps from it. Yeah, yeah. And I was oh, like, wow. I saw that too. I hope like fucking all, Glenn. The whole thing. I, well, when Glenn gave us the pilot, it was made very clear to us that if we ever, you know, if if that pilot were to suddenly get out in the wild, we would be to blame for it and would have, we would be in a lot of fucking trouble. So, <laughs> right. you know. But then, like in the year or more after we did that that interview, I've seen more and more people covering it. And when I saw that, when I first saw that post with all the screen caps, I was like, holy fucking shit. Is Glenn going to think this was us? But I never thought, you know, I never, we never heard anything from Glenn and he didn't seem bothered by it. He retweets that shit. So I think he's in our defense. We, we haven't been fucking sharing this, this thing. So, (laughs) so it wasn't us uh, for, for damn sure. I can say that. Sure. But Uh, um, also, um, I mean, this just might be a different regime at Amazon now. So, you know, like there's such exec- high executive turnover. Like, mm-hmm. oh, no one gives a shit about that. That was two years ago or whatever. Like a very real possibility that just could be. I don't, who was Roland? Uh, Sam Strike. Was that his name? Yeah. 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 It was it was all young Roland. We we never had a like a, a non teenage Roland in this. Yeah. Yeah. He starts off young. So that opening wow. portion is, uh, yeah, he's like 20 thereabouts. They did. Uh, well, and there, they, uh, I, I was actually, never mind. I'm going to stop speaking. Cause there's, there's a character. I was like, Oh, and, but they did cast this, this guy, Michael Rooker is in it and cast as, as a character. Once you get to, to it, he pops up, I guess, around the middle of wizard and glass. Oh, once fantastic. you get to it, you, he's, uh, elder Jonas is his name. So once, once you get, uh, once you get to Elder Jonah's picture, Rooker, and it's absolutely the most perfect casting for that <laughs> yeah, character. Yeah, it is. Fantastic. I love that guy. That's uh, great. I can't wait. Well, do yeah. do check in with us after you finish Wizard and Glass. And, um, you know, we're going to need a Wolves of the Call episode at some point, dude. So. Yeah. I dig it. I'm in. And, uh, you know, no rush. We got to, we have three more to do. Well, plus maybe Little Sisters Allure. Well, I guess, and also win through the keyhole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, we got some. We got some more. Yeah, we got. We got. We're some. gonna do it. We got to do it, right? We, we got plenty of runway. We got to go all the way. We're I was just sure. thinking of like you know we want to space these out so it's you know something we're doing throughout the run of the show. But I think we have a few years left in the tank. 
um, you know, in terms of the uh, the completeness of things, like we are uh, we're all of us on the, the 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 path of the beam, right? Like here we go. Yeah, we are this. absolutely. We'll, we'll get it right. We'll do it all. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, Matt. You know, yes, let's uh, let's talk again after you've. Uh, well, I want to know what you think of Wizards and Glass, but then you know, after Wolves of the Column, we'll we'll definitely yeah, hook back up. But uh, this is a blast as it. always, and uh, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Happy New Year to you too. Many thanks to Mr. Matt Fraction for continuing his journey along the path of the beam towards that big old dark tower that we all love so much and uh, doing it with us. He is a uh, smart cookie, that Matt Fraction, is he not? He is indeed. Uh, You can always count on him to uh, (laughs) take our little balls that we go like, hey, I think Oi is cool. I like Oi. And he goes, well, have you ever thought about what he actually means to the the story? And you're like, yes, I'm going to sit around. Like a, a, all the little hobbit children around listening mm-hmm. to Ian Holm telling stories about I like about when trolls the man shoots the gun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. Uh, always a delight to have on the show, and uh, we, he will be back. I believe. I think that's yeah. safe to say. Let's talk about what's happening next week. Yeah, first show of 2022. I hope we've got a guest we haven't had before and a title we have not done before. Am I right? You are correct, and this yes. is going to be really, really fun for you, Mr. Scott Wampler, because it is one of your favorite Stephen King books. Not one of my favorite, but one of your favorites. Phantoms? It's the wrong author. Wrong author. From a Buick 8 is next yes. week's topic. This is yeah. an episode we recorded a while back. It's uh, it's made its way to the front of the queue now. Uh, I think we're all a little bit... N- none of us are on the exact same page with this mm. one, right? That's my memory of it. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, We've all got our takes, so it's sort of a divided episode. But uh, I was I was thrilled to finally get a chance to talk Buick Eight on the show. Love that book. Yep, exactly. And uh, I, as far as our guest, I think we can hint that he is a well-known horror author, mm-hmm. and uh, like we said, has never appeared on the show. And maybe his name has been mentioned uh, somewhere in this very uh, episode. In this that is this true episode that you've listened to, <laughs> his true. name might have come up. You 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 don't know. You, you don't know. Better open your ears, everyone. Yep. So, what about our uh, Patreon episode this Friday? What's we're our launching Friday a Patreon? new mini series on the Patreon this week. This will be the final episode of 2021. And uh, what we're doing is we're we're bringing back our friend Lindsay Travis, who you will remember from a previous bonus episode that also ended up in the main feed at one point. Well, that was the King Court episode. That was the one where we uh, brought in Lindsay. She's a she she's a lawyer and um, a horror fan. And decided to come play like a mock trial kind of thing with us. If you haven't heard that episode, just scan back in the archives until you find the King Court episode. It's a good one. Anyway, she's coming back on the show, not for another King Court appearance, but to kick off this new mini series that we're doing that is built around um, various Stephen King comic adaptations or comics that King has actually written himself. Mm -hmm. And we kick off the series with... uh, American Vampire, which neither Eric or I had read. All three of us went through and read the first trade. And uh, Stephen King basically writes half of that thing. Yeah. Scott Snyder writes the rest. And we all loved it. So, yeah, we'll be discussing that and all things pertaining to American Vampire on the show this Friday. It's a really fun episode. Really looking forward to everybody hearing it. And uh, hopefully it's the beginning of many more to come. Many more looks at King and comics to come. Yeah, I'm not much of a comic book guy, he says at the end of an episode featuring Matt Fraction as a guest. <laughs> but uh, 
But I don't know. I was like, yeah, this will be a good idea. But um, once we actually read through it and then got into discussing it, uh, and I say this on the episode, I think it's just like it, it gives us a whole new area to explore, mm-hmm. you know, a, a new vocabulary even to to talk about some of some of King's writing. And uh, that was I found that very creatively energizing. And uh, yes, I hope I hope people uh, respond to it because we're going to do more of them. Sounds good. So next week from a Buick eight in our first episode of 2022. And then we got one more in this year with uh, Miss Lindsay Travis as we talk American vampire. So I guess we'll see y'all then. Adios folks. The King cast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted and created by Eric Vespi. That's me and Scott Wampler, Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel danger is our art director and editing is done by yours. Truly. <laughs>